Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever or wherever you are hearing this, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, your episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic, and now Japanese, question mark, Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me as we potentially embark on a brand new journey on this podcast, which I guess now is an anime podcast, question mark, my good friend in crime, Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how are you doing? Yeah, I've got my head on to talk about Transformers, um, and um, I've been workshopping that for like several days now. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like this this was always surreptitiously our plan all along to make this an anime podcast, and finally the the, the long game has paid off, and here we are with our new anime podcast. <laughs> it's like a bunch of the anime series that we've watched before, or we know and love, and probably a lot of people can relate to this, where sometimes you've got to get through like the initial like batch of episodes before you really get into the meat and potatoes of things we just worked it where we had to get through all of the american stuff to get to the japanese stuff that was our secret plan all along yeah pretty much i mean to be fair like at, at this point given as we've discussed at length like you know it was animated by by toei it was always an anime so it's fine it's it, 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 this was an anime podcast from the get-go there you go that's a whole other debate which who knows maybe we'll delve into it one day more in depth but ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming back to the podcast. We hope you have enjoyed all of our shows up till now. If you are brand new to the podcast, a little bit of the cliff notes, because admittedly it's been a little while since our last episode, we have talked through the entire American continuity of the cartoon of Transformers, including Transformers the movie. We did it in chronological order as per the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. Obviously the movie's not on there. We did that via 4K Blu-ray, which was great. You can listen to all of those episodes in our podcast archive right now on the likes of Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all of those places. We've done our best to get it everywhere you can. Everywhere we can, rather. You could also find our Patreon page, which is simply designed to be a long-term audio archive of the show, so we're not looking for any pledges for additional content and such. You can find that at patreon.com slash starscreamsghost. And if you're checking out the video version of the podcast today, hello, hope you're doing well. If you would like to watch the video version of us discussing what we are going to talk about today, go on YouTube, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, and you should find our YouTube channel there just fine, with every single episode of the podcast archived in its entirety. So, what are we talking about now, Andy? We've kind of already implied it, but let's let's just call it like it is. We are now heading in to the start of the Japanese Headmasters series. This is something we're going to sort of trial for probably a few podcast episodes, just to see how things progress, because there's there's a lot to discuss, especially with this episode. We are specifically aiming to cover the first three episodes of the series, but we're also going to delve into a bit of background information, some of which we've perhaps touched on before in previous podcasts, other information we've likely never discussed on this podcast, and there will certainly be things that we've never discussed before, because there are some Transformers in this which are very distinctly Japanese, but also have never made it outside of Japan. So it's, uh, it's quite an exciting time in some ways, Andy, because this is... When it comes to Headmasters, and this is probably a logical place to jump onto as well from a discussion point, I remember buying the DVD set, which if you're watching the video version, I've actually got sort of next to me, like sort of just down here, pointing. That's great for audio content, but there you go. And I, I remember buying it being really intrigued, but this was when I was, I would probably describe myself, especially now having done this podcast and watched all of G1 and such, 
far more a casual fan, but I'm big into anime, so I wanted to see the Japanese versions of shows. Not fully understanding the context of when and where this, in theory, happens. A lot of, like, perhaps the, um perhaps metaphors involved and such, or maybe just how much of a big tonal shift this is compared to the American one. So I remember watching a decent chunk of the Headmasters, but I never actually finished it, admittedly, but I really enjoyed what I saw in Japanese. The English dub, that's a whole other debate, and whether we get onto that, that's an entirely different point of discussion. So that's kind of where I sort of first discovered Headmasters, just randomly, I think it was in the shop MVC, which we've name-dropped a few times in, in previous podcasts. But what about you, mate? How did you first discover Headmasters? Yeah, I mean, I think I've only ever watched, like, the first episode or two, because I seem to recall one of the UK DVD releases had, like, the first episode or two on as, like, a teaser of just, like, hey, we're releasing this as well, so here it is. Um, unfortunately, I did watch it with the English dub, which is probably why I didn't watch any more of it, um, because it was kind of, like, it, it made it, it made it somewhat hard to watch, especially having come straight off of, you know, the, the, the classic sort of, you know, US episodes with... The, the great cast that that had and then suddenly it's a bunch of like Singaporean students or whatever it was kind of doing doing this as their second job or, or whatever whatever transpired there so I was always kind of intrigued by it and you know given what happens to the US series it was always sort of this kind of glittering sort of prospects in the distance of like oh well Transformers didn't actually end, like G1 did continue, just in this slightly less accessible way, um, so I've never actually kind of gotten around to squaring the circle and, and watching it properly. Um, I've also seen a bunch of YouTube clips, I mean again, that English dub, there is an entire, uh, there is an entire Twitter channel just... Um, dedicated to clipping some of the the best quote-unquote moments of the the <laughs> omni productions dub um for for people's enjoyment so there are moments in these episodes we're going to discuss that i'd seen before but perhaps taken out of context for comedy value and hey look at the english dub yeah the, the english dub like i say that may be a podcast in and of itself which I know we said we don't off we're not offering like any kind of tiered things on Patreon, Andy. If we're ever gonna do a Patreon tier and we would like to ask people to pledge, it might be to get us to watch the English dub of Headmasters. <laughs> yeah, you you would probably have to pay me to do it, so that might, that might be the only way that happens. So Headmasters is a very unique animal. To, to, to talk about to set the scene so that is what we are going to do to begin with we're going to set the scene as to how and why headmasters came about and just where it fits into the overall continuity and to begin with andy i think it's logical to, to set the scene in terms of recapping sort of where the cartoon had been to this point from an english language point of view we obviously had seasons one to the movie, season three, and then the, the three-episode season four. That was the Rebirth trilogy, which, again, you can hear, hear us talk about all of those in the podcast archive. Then the show was cancelled in North America. In Japan, seasons one and two from the US cartoon were, in essence... This is a weird way of phrasing it, Andy, but I think for the purposes of discussion, it's probably easier to phrase it this way, were exported to Japan, even though it was Toei that did it, but that aside. And that was under the name, if I remember correctly, Fight Super Robot Life Transformers. That was season one and two, which was kind of effectively the first season in Japan. Then, obviously at that point, when it came after season two, Transformers the movie was released in North America in 1986, but that never got to Japan until 1989 
So there is a big gap there. However, the third season from USA was then exported and localized in Japan, but renamed to Transformers 2010, even though in North America it was set in 2005 and 2006. And that was their third season. So they still got the post-movie stuff, but they didn't have the movie. And then when it came to season four, the three-episode rebirth, Japan, in essence, sort of went, no, nah, we're not going to end it here. We're going to do our own thing. So we spoke about during the Headmasters Rebirth Trilogy American version in, our, in the podcast before, that in a way, Japan is kind of a what-if story from an American point of view. The complete reverse of that is, from a Japanese point of view, the, the Rebirth Trilogy is in essence a what-if American version from their mm. point of view. So it's it's very interesting in that sense. But Transformers the movie did eventually make it to Japan, like I said, in 1989. At that point, Andy, Headmasters had been and gone, that had aired, because that aired from July of 1987 through to March of 1988, per the TF Wiki, which I'm getting some notes from as I read this here. Additionally, there was the follow-up series Super God Master Force, and then there was Victory, and Transformers the, the movie did not make it to Japan until Victory was airing. So there is a big time difference here as to how and when that actually arrived in Japan and where it fits. Mm. To add an additional detail to this now, at the beginning of the first episode, which we'll be getting onto in a few moments, it very notably begins with an on-screen graphic that effectively says, it's the year 2011. But according to the TF Wiki, in the original Japanese version of episode one of Headmasters, the episode begins with a montage recapping the vague basics of Transformer history, covering their eons-long war, their migration to Earth, the death of Optimus Prime, the rise of Rodimus Prime, and Megatron's recreation as Galvatron. An interesting note here, though. The death of Prime is of particular note, as it shows him perishing in a firefight in front of Autobot headquarters, rather than accurately replicating his actual death from Transformers the movie. This was a bit of a continuity patch job on the, on the part of the Headmasters, as, as I mentioned, the movie still hadn't reached Japan yet at this point, and wouldn't until 1989 when Victory was airing, so the actual circumstances of Prime's death hadn't been chronicled outside of similarly vague explanations in the pages of TV magazine. What's TV magazine, you ask? It was a children's orientated monthly Japanese magazine magazine, excuse me, published by Kodansha that primarily features children television shows and videos, and to a lesser extent, children's video games, model kits, and toys. The content of the magazine is a mix of multi-page spreads featuring photographs of scenes from live-action TV shows, original artworks depicting characters and situation from anime TV shows, or as it's noted in brackets here, story pages, and black and white manga. As with other periodicals of its kind, it comes it came with a variety of bonus inserts, supplements and supplements, excuse me, each month, mostly consisting of punch-out cardboard items that one can fold together. Apparently, it first published in, on November 1st, 1971, and continues to be published to this day. So there's a fun fact. But, but, that, but that itself, Andy, paints a very unique picture as to how the death of Optimus Prime, or Convoy as he's known in Japan, was actually depicted 
in Transformers in the Japanese on the, on the Japanese television side of things because man is that vastly different. Yeah, well, it's also really bizarre because I mean, given that you know everything pre the rebirth did sort of get a Japanese airing in the end, you kind of wonder why they always skipped out on the movie because i mean even in the u.s you know they created a tv version of that film and split it down into tv episodes you'd have thought that they might have done likewise to make that a four episode you know ova effectively or whatever um so it's a really strange decision that they that they they chose not to go down that route because yeah like even with a brief bit of context at the start of an episode like that's that movie is kind of important. <laughs> like a lot of big things happen there, you know, around Galvatron, around Prime and Rodimus and all of that stuff. So to kind of cram that into it, like, oh, by the way, um, is is a really odd decision to me. Um, and then yeah, the whole what what year is it part is is doubly kind of confusing as somebody who's just been through like the the US continuity because I I, I was sat there for a good minute being like. Why is Daniel still no older? But I guess because they claimed that uh, that, that everything post movie was set in 2010, that makes sense. But when you've come from it being like 2006 and suddenly it's 2011 and he's not aged at all, it's like, well, what's going on here? This but this is confusing me. Yeah, Daniel Daniel's is also an interesting part of this because. I can't remember exactly, but I think in Transformers the movie, he was... It, this was mentioned on the commentary tracks. I listened to the first few episodes on my DVD. And I think Chris McFeely, who hosted the commentary, mentioned that Daniel was around sort of... In the region of like seven to ten years old. Mm, I can't remember yeah. the exact number. But in theory, if you go by the actual sort of years that the series take place and when the movie takes place, in Headmasters, Daniel apparently is 14 years old. Yeah, and given how he acts in the show, there's some. In some ways, you could argue that's because he's Spike's son. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> he, I mean, certainly. Yeah, so, so that is interesting itself, and it's one thing we should also note, Andy, and this will sort of come onto a few other details because of the way Headmasters came about in Japan, and the fact the movie wasn't actually part of the continuity, but is, but didn't come till later, sort of thing. We will also see G1 characters who died in the movie and in the context of the Japanese airing of season three were acknowledged to have died at some point, but now are back or they just weren't seen again in the show. One case in point, we see Jazz in the first couple episodes because in the American version, Jazz's voice actor had passed away, so was then removed from the series. But now Jazz is just back, Mm, which is really cool. I ain't got a problem with that. But it is yeah. very weird to kind of wrap your head around, oh, they're alive? Yeah. Question mark? I, I mean, the, the the one that struck me the most was Prowl, who, you know, you see getting totaled by Megatron on the, the ship in the movie. Like, he, he is very definitely dead in that film. Um, so, yeah, but again, like, yeah. I, I mean, I do wonder, having said, like, I don't understand why they left the movie out of the, their continuity. Maybe that's exactly why. Maybe they still wanted to sell those toys in Japan. And I I, I mean, it's, it's a thing. That this is kind of like a sidebar, but I've never quite been sure... I mean, I, I guess they just because a, a lot of the original Transformers, you know, were originally Diaclone toys before they were Transformers, and so I guess at some point they got rebranded as Transformers in Japan as well, because um, that's the thing that I've never sort of wrapped my head around is you know, like Optimus Prime was on sale as as Diaclone Convoy for a good like 
year or two before Transformers was a thing anywhere else. And I, I, I'm never totally sure whether they just rebranded all of those toys or, or what they did with them. Um, so maybe that adds to some of the confusion as well around what they did and didn't want to, to put in their continuity. Yeah, when it comes to Prowl specifically, because there is actually a note about this on the TF Wiki page I'm currently looking at. So to quote them, although he does not speak... Prowl appears quite prominently in a few scenes in the first episode that we're going to be discussing in a few moments, despite his death in the movie. The fact that the movie had not been released in Japan at this point is often cited as the reason for this, but Prowl's name was included in the, li in the list of dead Autobots in the Japanese dub of the Dark Awakening episode. So they did know. Yeah, so just just chose to ignore, I suspect, because Prowl is cool. Like he's he's a cool design. Why would you want to get rid of him? A, a random additional note to this. So years later, the Facebook version of Ask Vector Prime, which I'm pretty sure we've discussed this before, but just for clarity's sake, uh, Ask Vector Prime is a recurring feature where humans could submit questions about Transformers based on unknown criteria. Vector Prime selected certain questions and answers. And, and answers them to the best of his ability. Vector Primes will sometimes misunderstand a question he'd rather not answer. <laughs> so that adds to what that is. The reason I bring this up is because in a, in a version of Ask Vector Prime, a, a full explanation is given. Apparently, Japanese cartoon Prowl as it's phrased here, did die in the events of the movie and was subsequently replaced by his dimension-hopping counterpart from a closely related alternative universe. <laughs> I mean, Which sure. is noted here as the BT world. <laughs> Which, I'm not going to get into that because that seems to be a whole thing in and of itself. But essentially, that is, the, that is technically the reason quote-unquote, given for Prowl somehow being here despite being dead. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the classic sci-fi thing, and it's exactly why the, the UK comics suddenly got big into, like, time travel um, and all of that stuff, because, of course, then you can start having alternate realities and alternate dimensions, and you can switch characters in and out of that, because, yeah, like, the, the, the UK comic continuity had a lot of the same things of, like, well... We don't want to just get rid of Megatron. Like, we still want to have him around. Oh, I know. Time travel. Um, and, <laughs> you know, likewise. They, they sort of... I feel like they did it less with Optimus Prime, but I guess because they were sort of bringing it back as a toy. But there was definitely... They, they did plenty of that to make sure that they could still use dead characters, basically. Mm. So, with all of that being said, where does this fit in when it comes to how we're going to try and recap this? Well, simply put... American Season 4 did not take place. But this is just one of those things where we go on the idea that follows Season 3, but keep in mind that just the odd extra character that either should be dead or well, hasn't been used in ages is lurking about. I think that is the easiest way to go about this. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, this is effectively just a replacement for the Rebirth. Um, and there, there are... Like, like I said, the, the oddest thing for me is just the... the time skip that isn't a time skip of calling this 2011 um 
because that that's the part that doesn't really make much sense unless you factor in that season three was 2010 according to you know the japanese continuity which that means the movie doesn't make any sense because that was 2005 and blah 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 um so yeah some suspension of disbelief is required for this cartoon about robots who'd have thought (laughs) yeah and in terms of actual timelines as well apparently literally the first episode of this series headmasters takes place one year after the events of the return of optimus prime two-parter yeah that is the idea behind it so in terms of time skipping it isn't like you can say well technically the end of american season three could have been a few more years if you want it to be 2011 because literally it happened a year ago so there is like you say some suspension of disbelief in that sense as it were and just you sort of just have to go with the flow but that being said with all of that in mind, I don't really think it impacts too much once you get past that initial opening graphic on screen. No, no. I mean, beyond the Daniel thing that I mentioned, like everything else kind of sits together pretty nicely. Um, you know, it's it's it, 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 all, it all follows on pretty, pretty directly, you know, bar, barring that and kind of resurrected characters, which, I mean, heck, that was happening in, like, season three accidentally in places as well. So, you know, <laughs> maybe they were from an alternate dimension too and not animation errors. Um, so, yeah, there's nothing that you can't roll with. There's nothing here where you're going to just, like, throw your popcorn at the TV and say none of this makes sense because for the most part, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fine. So from there... It is time to delve into the first episode of Transformers Headmasters, entitled Four Warriors Come Out of the Sky. And yes, we've purposely not mentioned the English dub, because I think, again, we'll save that for a different episode. Now, context is key when it comes to how we have watched this. On the DVD, we've got the Japanese audio with the English subtitles. Now, Andy, I think cards on the table here. All the episodes of this show are on YouTube. So they are readily accessible on there. There is a version on there which is probably far more visually pleasing, I'll phrase it as. So if you search for, if you search for Transformers Headmasters on YouTube, you'll find the episodes in question. And they also utilize the same subtitle script as the DVD based on my comparisons. So if you want to literally watch these with us, you can do so. We're going to be going pretty in-depth on them as we have done in the past when it comes to episodes. But cards on the table on that front, that is how we are doing this. Yep, yep, in, indeed. It's uh, yeah, the, the, the wonders of modern technology. The first thing we get to see, Andy, is the opening sequence to this show. Which, apparently, its official title is Transformers The Headmasters. Though, based on the lyrics and how it unfolds, you would think it was called Head On. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is a very Japanese, uh, especially a very Japanese kids' TV intro. Um, and, yeah, it's enjoyably so although not as good as the ending credits but we'll get to that (laughs) later the ending credits are phenomenal are you aware by the way who wrote the opening theme to the show no i've I've no idea some some dude called hironobu kageyama who you may know is the person that wrote the opening theme to dragon ball z in japan it makes sense It, it definitely has that sort of that vibe and that cadence to it so yeah of, of, of course of course it does yeah so if you are familiar with the theme song of shala head shala that is why <laughs> that's why it sounds very similar just really likes his heads like that dude <laughs> never even realized that until just now <laughs> he's like what's so- the headmasters sign me up i'll write it right now <laughs> 
So, we begin one year after the events of the return of Optimus Prime. On Cybertron in the year 2011, the space bridge suddenly reactivates and we see Galvatron step through with a small force of Decepticons, including mysterious new recruits we come to find out are named Weird Wolf, Skullcruncher, and Mindwipe. Galvatron says, quote, and this is weird because I appreciate now I can't really imitate Galvatron at all because I'm going by the Japanese voice, but just, just roll with it, people. I'm going to do my best with this. Quote, My brave warriors, our mother computer, Vector Sigma, is available equally to both Decepticon and Autobot. We Decepticons must monopolize the will of mother computer and then return once more to Cybertron. End quote. So... Already barely a minute into the opening scene, Andy, that line of dialogue from Galvatron has established a very big note when it comes to what, when it just comes to the state of being, as it were. And this basically implying a lot has happened to Vector Sigma, because we saw at the end of the Return of Optimus Prime, we saw all the energy be released from the Matrix. And according to Chris McFeely's commentary a bit later in the episode, the idea here, Andy, is that Vector Sigma somehow controls the balance of power on Cybertron. It's allowed the Autobots to remain in power there, and now, after the release of the Matrix's energy in the Return of Optimus Prime, it's now been reset to a neutral balance, allowing the Decepticons to, in essence, invade. It also implies that the Decepticons couldn't invade Cybertron because of that. Which thought from me personally now that to me in some ways and i'm trying not to give galvatron credit here but in some ways that actually makes sense as to why galvatron regularly tried to destroy cybertron in season three rather than just take it back over yeah yeah i mean i'm not sure whether that's kind of what what they were going for with this plot point i mean the, the thing that kind of surprised me is again given everything that we've talked about is how this episode instantly goes into kind of deep G1 lore, like straight away we're into Vector Sigma, you know, we, we have Alpha Trion shows up, we have all of that stuff from this initial arc, whereas you'd have thought that if you're starting this series kind of with the knowledge that, look, we didn't get the movie, maybe you want to make this accessible to newcomers, that you would kind of softball in something else or something new and fresh that they had to explain um, to the viewer. But we don't get any of that. We're straight into like, no Vector Sigma, like Cybertron stuff. Like it's very targeted at the existing audience, which is not what I was expecting from, from this series, to be honest. Hmm. Following that line of dialogue from Galvatron, Weird Wolf then steps forward. We're straight into the new characters here, establishing them from the get-go. And says, quote, One moment, Great Emperor Galvatron. Entrust this task to us, the Decepticon Headmasters. Quote. Galvatron responds by saying, Weird Wolf, you've overstepped your mark. You're just a new headmaster. Weird Wolf goes on to say that they just want to show him the power of the Decepticon headmasters. They then, The three headmasters then proceed to fly through a glass ceiling, which I didn't realise there was glass on Cybertron, but that's a debate for another day, leading to Galvatron to comment how they could possibly impress him before instructing the remaining Decepticons to destroy the Autobots. Some things never change. Now, the reason they are on Cybertron, as we've sort of alluded to already, is that Galvatron is aiming to take control of Vector Sigma, and Weird Wolf volunteers the three headmasters for that task. Now, Galvatron has now sent the Terracons, 
the Predacons, and the Combaticons, because... And if there's one thing we've learned, the Japanese love combiner stuff. Flippin' heck, it's great. And they are now all going to attack the Autobots. We then go to Autobot Base, which, for point of reference in the subtitle translation, is called Cybertron Base, where Spike and Carly... We get Carly, Andy. I'm so happy. They're having tea. Quintessentially British there. And they're interrupted by the Decepticon attack. They rush to the control room where they and other Autobots are on hand. Most are not name-checked, but for the purposes of recapping here, we see Retgar, Cup, Grimlock, Swoop, Sludge of the... Sorry, Grimlock, Swoop, and Sludge of the, of the Dinobots. Blur. And we get four of the Technobots as well. Spike then contacts the Autobot base on Athenia for help. We cut to Athenia. Now, pausing again, Andy, because <laughs> there's a lot of setup here. So, Athenia... We, I'm just going to put this out there. Do you realise that technically we have seen Athenia before in the show? Yeah, I was tr wrecking my brains trying to figure out like how and when because when they mentioned that it was both like a combination of like what, where, and also like. But I have heard this name before. This this planet has definitely turned up in Transformers continuity before. So it's probably not going to be what you're thinking it might be because it wasn't for me either, unless it is actually outright named. But apparently, based on the Japanese localization of season three. <laughs> This is how deep we're getting into the weeds here. We last saw Athenia in Five Faces of Darkness Part 1, the Season 3 opener, because it's where the Galactic Olympics took place. Remember that rock planet, which didn't look anything like an actual planet? <laughs> One year later, it's now a spherical planet. Yeah, I I, I, did, I did think that that was maybe maybe one of them, um, but yeah, I can't remember because I guess they just it wasn't called Athenia in the the English version then. I I forget, but it, it I did, don't remember off the top of my head, admittedly. Yeah, it did just sort of make sense as just like yeah, that's maybe that was what I was thinking of because we visited a lot of planets, but not many of them seemed like they were sort of hospitable enough to just be where you know Optimus hangs out these days. An additional note from Chris McFeely's commentary track on the UK DVD that I was watching. He said that, a, he recalled that it was supposed, that Athenia is supposed to be where they're looking to create a second Cybertron. Okay. So. He didn't elaborate on that, admittedly, in there, so I haven't really delved much more into it, but that's just a, a random thought in the ether there for you. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that also sounds like a very Decepticon thing to do, to just take <laughs> over a planet and be like, it's Cybertron too. But... Sure. So yes, so we are on Athenia, and this message has been received from the Cybertron base. Now, Hound, who we've already talked about, died, but is probably now some kind of dimension-hopping person, that aside, theorizes that the loss of the Matrix's energy, following the events of the return of Optimus Prime, has destabilized Vector Sigma and is causing it to malfunction. That sort of goes against the idea that's established a bit later on, but again, at this point, it's just a theory in the episode. Now, also present at this base at this time, we'll note, are Optimus Prime, RC, Hound as mentioned, Hot Rod, Smokescreen, and four of the Aerial Bots, Air Raid, Slingshot, Skydive, and Silverbolt, and of course, as we mentioned earlier, Jazz. Optimus Prime now arranges for troops from Earth to, to reinforce those on Cybertron, where he and Jazz are also preparing to head to. He also suggests that Spike and Carly evacuate to Athenia as well, given how bad things are getting. 
back on Cybertron, we get our first glimpse of some of the powers of the Decepticon Headmasters, Andy, because Mindwipe demonstrates their hypnotic powers. Or, as the subtitles refer to them at one point, a devious form of hypnotism. Which I loved as a caption. That was very good. And I do I, I like Mindwipe as a character as well. And so I, I was very pleased to see lots, lots, of, lots of hypnosis stuff going on in these episodes. And the first port of call was to put Grimlock to sleep. Which then begs the questions, do Transformers sleep? I mean, apparently. At least, <laughs> at least they, they can sleep, I, I guess. So, Skullcruncher, the Decepticon headmaster who we were introduced to like a couple of scenes earlier, also succumbs to the hypnosis accidentally. And we get our first glimpse... If you're on your, like your Transformers bingo card, everyone, to bring that back now, you had Galvatron just beats up one of his compatriots he basically just stomps on the back of skull cruncher who is asleep just saying wake up yeah which is fair it's, it's also like the the first moment where th- this series is sort of watching these episodes is interesting to me because actually for the most part it feels quite not quite american but it sort of it, it slots into that u.s continuity quite well but when it does its comedy it suddenly feels very anime and very japanese and that was like the first moment was just like, oh yeah, this is an anime because that's just a very like I I've, the comedy in like G one Transformers up to this point was a very different kind of vibe to it than what you get in in these episodes. So that was like an interesting like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, this is definitely kind of recentered where I am in terms of what I'm watching right now. Definitely, and it's at this point as well where sort of elsewhere on Cybertron. Spike realizes the Decepticons are after control of Vector Sigma, and this alarms Cup. And this is where Spike also figures out that Vector Sigma, quote unquote, has reset its own balance so the Decepticons have invaded. So, very much, the storyline that's now being established is whoever gets control of Vector Sigma controls Cybertron. Which, again, based on what Chris McFeely was saying in his commentary, is a very Japanese-only storyline. It's never something we've seen before. It's never been implied. So very much take that as just being part of the way this is now, as it were, in the context of this series. Yeah. It's also like, I mean, I feel like Vector Sigma has been important, so it's not too much of a leap to be like, you know, it's, it's not like everyone was just, you know, resting their coffee mugs on Vector Sigma up to this point. Like, it's always been like a pivotal light. Oh, this this does really important stuff around, you know, Transformers and their origin and their lore. So it kind of works as just an extrapolation of, like, this is a thing that hasn't been discussed previously because we've not been in quite this scenario before. So it's like, sure, this is all stuff that I can totally run with. To sort of pause there for a second, because I think we've very much been sort of, like, not on Earth, which, you know, we're kind of used to from Season 3 and 4, an American Season 4 at this point. But... Already, this doesn't feel vastly different. And as we get through more of these episodes, things are going to change. Trust us, folks. There's a lot that happens in these episodes. But one thing that's really nice, even just from these establishing scenes, in my opinion, Andy, is that it does just feel like a a continuation. It's just kind of a nice, sort of easy bridging gap. to, Unintentionally, because heck knows, the Japanese creators of the show probably didn't think, oh, Americans are going to want to watch this at some point. But there is, aside from the differences we've mentioned already, it does feel like a nice natural progression to where things are at and doesn't feel tonally completely off the wall and very unrecognisable at this stage. 
No, no. I mean, I, I, I suspect that might change as we go through this uh, this series. But yeah, like like I say, this definitely feels surprisingly so that it just picks up where kind of season three leaves off in a lot of ways. Because um, yeah, I, I was certainly expecting a lot more attempts to explain things for newcomers and to add new elements that didn't rely on existing law. But no, this is very much just going in for like that. This is just more of more of what you've seen already, um, which is no bad thing to be quite honest. It's just a big difference from our point of view, having watched all the episodes so far, is the fact now we're watching it in Japanese, which is taking a little bit of getting used to, admittedly. Not in a, a negative way, it's just that, oh yeah, you don't sound like that anymore, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, e even like the sort of the voice modulation and stuff they do in characters, you know, it's very different. You know, we, we, we get a fair bit of sound wave in these episodes and, you know, you don't get that kind of iconic sort of intonation of, of characters like that 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 is really sort of specifically notable. Um, and, and it also takes them getting used to to watching episodes that aren't terribly animated as well. <laughs> like now we've, we're, we're post the ACOM era. It's like, oh, all these characters are actually the right size. That's how, how, how quaint. Yeah, I will say, and I'm sure we'll touch on some of this as, as we get, get along further, but some of the animation in this is so damn good. And also, even from just like a... a What's the what's the create a production point of view? And it, it's a little different, Andy, but I'm sure long term it'll probably make a difference. Is that this this show is also being produced or was produced rather as an anime. And to to elaborate on that, in the Western world, it's typically you'll probably get voice lines recorded, then the animation will be created around the dialogue. Whereas in this, as we are familiar with, because we're both big anime fans and professional endeavors and whatnot, the animation is made first and the dialogue fits around the animation. Mm. that's the way it works that's how this show is being produced as well and there are little instances of that but at the same time you can tell this is an anime and from an animation point of view it works so well in the context of transformers yeah yeah no, no more the wrong character speaking a line anymore because you can't really do that with that kind of recording setup but yeah i mean again you know japan knows how to make big robots look cool um and Shot they, yeah they, they <laughs> certainly do do so here like you know it's it's kind of interesting because n none of these sort of action scenes in these episodes are kind of like absolutely blow out incredible like i mean obviously none of them are like call of the primitives good but like it's all <laughs> it's all very solid and there's kind of i was gonna say it's a lot more punchy and realize i meant that both figurative, figuratively and literally because there's a lot more <laughs> like hand-to-hand -hand combat um especially when you get to sort of the you know the, the bigger robots. I mean, again, this this feels like a the animators here are quite okay getting to grips with like, oh yeah, we can we can throw Metroplex around for a bit, and you know we can throw the the big Gestalt robots around a bit. Whereas it always felt like, especially like you know season three, um, G one, it was like, oh god, we've got to animate the big robots. This is hard. We don't like it. Um, so yeah, it definitely it, it has a a consistent polish to it that we've not had in a little while since the kind of some of the better Toei episodes continuing with the story we then go to earth where the Autobots under Ultra Magnus's command have received orders to join the conflict on Cybertron but their way to the space bridge is being blocked by a Decepticon contingent led by a new foe leading to the following dialogue exchange the new Decepticon sort of baddie, if you will. Wait, you Autobot creeps. Come and take me on. Magnus responds with, Who are you? Where are you from? The Decepticon responds with, Ha 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 ha. Listen, 
I am Sickshot, Decepticon Ninja Staff Officer. To which Magnus responds with, What? <laughs> and Sickshot then says, I've introduced myself. Now die. And then promptly shoots Ultra Magnus in the shoulder. <laughs> Magnus responds with, Devious coward. And then Sickshot says, That's my fighting style. You have no hope. Even just some of the dialogue, Andy. It's great, but I'm glad they've retained that fun essence of the dialogue as well, just from that little bit of a dialogue exchange there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's also nice to see Sickshot not looking like garbage as well, because he, he, he appeared for, like, what, like, ten seconds in an episode to be like, <laughs> hey, look, I have six modes here, they all are, right, I'm gone now. Um, whereas, yeah, like, he's actually, again, he's the right size now. Um, and, yeah, he's actually, like, given some form of importance even though he's just like labeled himself a ninja is it he sounds like a guy who's just printed his own business cards like he probably doesn't actually have a job role in the decepticons it's like well i'm just gonna call myself like the ninja canteen officer and you can't stop me um so good, good on six shot i like him so it's an interesting thing to note as well now because we're sort of going to come into this as we get through more characters but we've already alluded to a lot of the combiner toys and such but because of when this show was released and what the hot toys were at the time not the brand hot toys but as in the hottest toys of the lines at those at that time there's a lot of season two toys which are still really prominent so you're going to hear us talk more about the aerial bots you're going to hear us mention the protector bots a lot more and all of those and such and the terracons and whatnot the ones that were introduced very late are going to be a lot more prominent in this show and without i haven't delved too too much farther but based on what chris mcfeely was alluding to in the commentary japan loves its giant robot combiner toys so you're gonna see them a lot and that includes other transformers as well like six shot because from a marketing point of view andy if you've got a toy that can transform six different ways as one of the main elements of a bad guys you're gonna freaking use them aren't you yeah, exactly. Well, so you'd think, but then <laughs> we saw season three, it not it do do none of that. But I mean, I guess that, that that's probably one of those characters that was very much shoehorned in at the last minute. I suspect, whereas at least this had time to uh, to to utilize them properly. And again, this this is the kind of thing that I find curious about this series in terms of like you know how much pressure was there from Hasbro or probably more Takara on the Japanese side in terms of we want these toys to be in the show like you know how, how much of it was the the writers saying we want these characters in versus you know the the, the more sort of uh, business elements of it which uh, we'll probably never know but uh, it's it's definitely cuz cuz maybe it's just one of the things this these episodes do, do well but it feels like it's very much a case of like oh the writers feel like they like all these characters and they want to use them Whereas sometimes, you know, the, the, the US episodes felt a bit like, ah, oh, we've got to roll out this guy because we've been told we have to. So here he is. And oh, now he's been defeated because we don't really care. You're not wrong there. And there will be very much other elements of that when we'll, I'm sure at some point we're going to go, why is there so much focus on this? I mean, in fairness, Andy, we're going to be getting to the introduction of a new combiner team shortly, which it's so Japan. But we'll get to it in a minute, because I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about them as well. But continuing to where we go. Ultra Magnus, at this point in the conversation with Sixshot, formally introduces himself and proceeds to shoot at Sixshot's feet. Sixshot is confused as to why he fired, and Magnus responds by saying, That's my fighting style. 
So again, we're getting some good banter there. After some more words are exchanged, gunfire continues in general. And after the next scene, which we're about to talk about, we also get a fun little sort of close quarters combat fight between Magnus and Sixshot, with Sixshot ultimately getting the upper hand for a little bit. But at the same time elsewhere, we get to see Andy, Wheelie, and Daniel. First great thing about this, Wheelie doesn't talk in rhyme anymore. <laughs> yes, thank God. <laughs> And they are trying to plot ways to get to Cybertron, because they are already on Earth at this point. However, in trying to figure out a way to get to Cybertron, i.e. by getting to the Space Bridge, they accidentally manage to run into a Decepticon, Andy. Now, you would think, if you're gonna, let's say, casually and accidentally run into a Decepticon, it might be someone of, say, like, a regular size. I wouldn't have expected them to just immediately run into Trypticon. Yeah, you'd have thought that you know he's he's not really he's not really your stealth Decepticon, <laughs> is he? I mean, I mean this this is a bit like that the the time that they sent what did they send like Ultra Magnus in as like a stealth scout in an episode, <laughs> and we're just like, what the heck? Like you're literally the biggest dude here. It's like yeah, Trip Tripticon, not exactly hard to miss. Also, do have to call out Wheelie for 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 saying the phrase, "I'm smarter than most people." Because I'm going to call that out right here and right now and say, I'm not sure that's true. Well, let's come back to that. Because when it comes to what happens next, Trypticon starts chasing them until Wheelie gets the bright idea that him and Daniel should run across a bridge that's hanging over a ravine. You can probably guess where this is going, everyone, if you've not watched it already. And Trypticon is dumb enough to try and follow them. Because the bridge snaps under his weight, and for I think Andy maybe the fourth or fifth time now in all of Transformers continuity, we see Trypticon plunge into a watery mass below. Yeah, they they really need to waterproof Trypticon at this point because I mean you've got to be like looking at the the post match analysis and being like, look, you're just going to end up in the drink again, <laughs> so we should probably just make sure that you're not going to leak or anything. And I should also note that in a later scene, we see Daniel and Wheelie actually arrive at Autobot City slash Metroplex. I'm going down that route again, people. However, it is referred to as Cybertron Base Earth in the subtitles. So <laughs> we're going to have all sorts of naming conventions to try and follow her, Andy, but we'll get around that. Now, back with Ultra Magnus, we get the debut, Andy of a new team of combiners that help out Ultra Magnus get out of a pickle against Sixshot. And they are... The Trainbots! Yeah, I've, I've never been so angry about, like, toys we didn't get outside of Japan <laughs> at this moment. It's like, come on, like, they're goddamn Shinkansen train that transforms into a giant robot. Like, why did we not? It's one of those weird things where I can imagine at the time they probably looked and were just like, no, this is far too Japanese. This is far too localised. Whereas I think any kid anywhere in the world would be like, what? Train robots? Sign me up. Like, you know, fine, we got Astro Train, but what if you had more trains and they were cooler trains? Yeah, so according to Chris McFeely's commentary track... These were these these were characters very much exclusive to Japan and would not be seen in North America. Additional note, Andy, that he mentioned. I think I heard him say that this is the this team is one of the last remnants of the Diaclone line to make it into Transformers. Yeah, yeah, I I think I recall like 
seeing some blog article where they, they they showed like the original diaclone versions of all these various characters and yeah they, these were what on there as well so that would figure so in terms of who are the train bots just to kind of name check now just so for when they no doubt become more prominent at some point the team consists of and I'm, i might mispronounce these names because they've not actually been name checked in the show yet but we have shoki who is the leader and described by the TF Wiki as the brash speedster. We have get we have Getsue, excuse me, who is the sluggish stealth expert. <laughs> that's, a, that's a phrase. We have Kayen, or Kayan, I'm sure we'll learn how to pronounce that soon. The hot running powerhouse. Saizan, or Seizan, the rugged mountain climber. Suiken, the brainy strategist. And Yuki Kaze, the icy cold weather operative. <laughs> See that's 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 the train that we need in Scotland. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> bring, bring Yuki Kaze to Glasgow right now. And they combine to form the train super robot Raiden or Raiden, however it's ultimately going to be pronounced. But I'm going to assume Raiden. So they add here, unsurprisingly, for locomotives, they can also combine into vehicle mode to produce a single super space train and frequently act as interstellar transport for their fellow Autobots. Yeah, it is. It is the the thing that I continue to find weird whenever we have like train stuff in Transformers that they just they just do their train thing on the lands in the sky wherever the <laughs> heck they like. They don't need rails. It's like Ast Astro Train sort of made more sense because he was also a spaceship, and it's like, well, fine. I guess you've got this sort of you've got this whole thing going on. But with these guys, it's like, should you be allowed to do that? Like this feels like this feels like you're a bit OP, but also you're train Transformers, so it's fine. So, the train bots arrive, and this leads to all the Autobots now heading for the space bridge. But they are once again cut off by six shot. Ultra Magnus then Ultra Magnus, excuse me, then sends the train bots on while he, Prowl, and Sideswipe keep the Decepticons busy. The combined train bots, which, as we talked about, is a train, are attacked by the Constructicons, who shoot them out the sky, causing their transformation to come apart. Because, Andy, we can't have a new Combiner team debut without them immediately being pummeled and made to look silly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's, you know, that's that's the, the downside of being a flying train. Um, where, where, where's, the, where's the replacement bus service bots when you need them? <laughs> that's an idea there. We need, we need that. <laughs> but at this point... This is when Metroplex chooses to, to join the battle, and the Autobots then succeed in reaching Autobot City. I know what I just said, everyone. That's I'm just describing what I saw, okay? So just roll with me on that, no pun intended. And the Earth Space Bridge Terminal as well, they have arrived at. So the troops are then carried through the Space Bridge aboard the train bots, and this is where Wheelie and Daniel stow away as well. We then cut back to Cybertron, where the battle is escalating and conditions that's not a word, conditions are, are worsening. That's a bad sentence. I'm, I'm not going to edit that out. I'm going to leave that in because that's how this, this goes, everybody. But Optimus Prime has now arrived with more troops to even things up for the Autobots. We then cut back to Athenia, where we find out that Prime's plan is to calibrate Vector Sigma. One would assume that basically means Andy to make it favour the Autobots again. And much, this is much to cut shock because we find out, Andy, that Optimus Prime doesn't have the Matrix with him so that he can activate Vector Sigma. 
Spike adds to this by saying that based on his research, Vector Sigma can't be controlled without the Matrix. Then, something appears on their long-range scanners. But what is it? The title of the episode may give you a clue, everyone. Back on Cybertron, the train bots have arrived, as did the stowed Wheelie and Daniel, with Daniel beelining it towards Vector Sigma to check on it. Because, I don't know, Daniel, you can control Vector Sigma, can't you? But that aside... <laughs> what could possibly go wrong from the boy who <laughs> crashed like, the entire archives of the Autobots? <laughs> but not before, Andy. They run into the Predacon, which I believe the name was Tantrum, if I've got my memory correct. And we have a small chase scene occur that rapidly ends by, quite literally, a train bot driving into the Predacon. And then Wheelie proceeding to jump on top of the Predacon and start pummeling his face in mercilessly. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed that moment. That, that almost made Wheelie's appearance worth it, to be honest. So. I agree completely. I, my, my note literally reads, I almost like you, Wheelie. <laughs> <laughs> Back on Athenia, uh, Athenia, sorry, it, different pronunciations. I will say, everyone, you may notice how I'm going back on here, back on there. We now cut to there. This is very much the pacing of the show. And there is a narrator, who apparently, Andy, as well, is the narrator that basically carried on through the majority of like the G1 Transformers as well. So it is a constant through line. But this is just the pacing of the show. And there isn't necessarily time to have let things happen breathe they just want to get you to the next thing and the narrator is very much filling in the gaps between scenes of little things that may have occurred occasionally that happened in in american g1 and we never got an explanation as to how something happened so at the very least we get a narrator to plug in those gaps yeah and, and this again this feels like a tried and trusted bit of kind of like japanese anime uh, storytelling where they're always quite happy to they're cramming a lot into a tv episode if they need somebody to come to voiceover and to be like oh by the way this is what happened in the stuff you didn't really see they will always happily do that and yeah it kind of it, it, it is preferable to the like what the heck just happened i feel like i missed an episode of this did i fall asleep that you sometimes get with other shows so we're back on athenia where spike carly cup and hot rod We'll come on to Hot Rod and how he's going to be named shortly, everyone, because that's going to be a confusing mess in itself. They're trying to figure out what they can do to help when Cup says, quote, I remembered something from four million years ago. The fighting was terrible. Some of our citizens were under attack and managed to escape Cybertron. And as, we're, as he's saying this, Andy, we get flashbacks involving Megatron, Starscream, Soundwave, Thundercracker and Rumble attacking Cybertron. And then Cup adds, will such a tragedy be repeated? And then Spike cuts him off by saying, talking of the past isn't going to help solve our current problems. <laughs> and then Cup just says, oh, forgive me. <laughs> yeah. It's also, I, I, I was expecting when they cut back to that, I was expecting some stock footage from prior seasons, but that looked like new animation to me. Of Agreed. Like the, the, the old school Decepticons. Because it's like, surely you could have just pause i mean maybe there's a rights issue because different studios but i was expecting them to just pull a classic bit of like season one and just be like yeah there you go those guys but it's like oh no you've you've animated new megatron i'm this makes me quite happy yeah i will also note according to chris mcfeely's commentary track that is the only appearance we will ever see of those characters again yeah indeed so star screams ghost continues to be accurate <laughs> as, a, as a title <laughs> At this point, 
the object that was on their long-range scanners is now closer to a point where they can magnify a picture to see it's actually a battleship. Blur, yes everyone, Blur is still here and talks just as fast in Japanese. I, I don't envy the subtitler of this, Andy, at all, but there you go. Blur immediately starts thinking this spells doom, but the others say, hey, it could be friendly, prompting Hot Rod, or Rodimus, as he's known in Japanese, and as the subtitles kind of flip-flop between as well, it should be said, prompting Rodimus to go check it out, leaving Cup in charge of that base. Back on Cybertron, the fighting continues, and we now see Superion, Defensor, uh, and Abominus appear in combiner-based fighting action. We also see Blitzwing chasing, I think it was Sunstreaker, Andy, and then Blitzwing promptly then just flies into a building and bounces off of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, never really quite recovered from that leadership challenge in Season 2, I guess. It's been been all downhill for him since then. But also, I was very excited to see Sunstreaker. I I don't know why that that was like, yay, I I like Sunstreaker. He's a cool yellow car. (laughs) Part of me just thought... I mean, this is probably, again, kind of the, the, the timeline issue that we're going to be on here, but part of me was thinking, wasn't Blitzwing exiled from the Decepticons? And I just thought, you know what? I'm not even going to worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he probably he, he probably made up with Galvatron at some point, you know. They, they probably just got together and went for ramen or something, and it was all fine. <laughs> it's like an episode of Naruto just sitting at the ramen shop <laughs> on the, after a long day. As the Decepticons approach their goal, we get to see the Headmasters holding some kind of grenades, I think, as a projectile weapon, and are just demolishing the Autobots that are standing in their way. Also, partly thanks to Mind Wipe's sleep-inducing hypnosis power once again. Galvatron is smelling victory and is ready to get to Vector Sigma when a new voice is heard, saying, quote, Galvatron, think you can just carry it off, do you? End quote. Then a big battleship appears from the sky, which we find out from an on-screen caption is named Battleship Maximus. Then four Transformers appear, with one specifically shouting the phrase, Transform! Head on! <laughs> Weird Wolf immediately recognises them, and we discover that they are in fact, quote, Headmaster Warriors. And they are led by Chrome Dome. There is also Hardhead, Highbrow, and Brainstorm. They are the Autobot equivalent of the Headmasters. Chrome Dome then challenges Weird Wolf to settle their conflict now, which he accepts. And the episode ends with more questions needing to be answered, but we've got a big battle on our hands, and things are getting exciting. So that is the end of the first episode of Headmasters, Andy. And I've got to say, for a debut episode, there was a lot to take in and kind of a lot to try and figure out from our perspectives, obviously watching it from English language, going to Japanese and all the continuity bits and whatnot. But as a debut episode and long-time Transform- and as a long-time Transformers fan, I had a great time with this episode. It's a great debut episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it kind of ticks a lot of the boxes that you want it to tick. I mean, obviously... Headmasters are right there in the title, so you want to see those guys, and you know there's there's just enough to be like cool. I, I I like I like these characters. I like these character designs. It does some good stuff with the existing cast. Um, you know it sets up. I mean, literally within its first thirty seconds, it sets up the stakes 
like incredibly succinctly like galvatron just turns up basically turns the camera and says so this is the story um and you know it's like well you can't you can't you know you can't question its effectiveness there um so yeah you know it's it's good and i mean it's sort of the irony of, of having like the likes of prowl and jazz back it's like on one sense this doesn't make sense but on the on the other hand these are all good characters, so I'm kind of glad that we've somehow managed to contrive a way to bring them back. So, so that's good. The, the the thing that strikes me about this episode though is like just how disorganized the Autobots are. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the the G1 continuity to this point has always been to make the Autobots look good, almost without exception. Like, they always have the right plan and do the right thing. Whereas in this episode, it's basically like, oh, Optimus Prime has gone with, gone off without his phone, basically. And it's just like, oh, he's just gone without the Matrix to do the thing that he needs a Matrix for. He's left his car keys on the table, basically. Um, and there's just this general, like, communication breakdown where you've got kind of, like, Cup and Spike and, and you know, Prime's wandered off to do his thing. And it's just like, have you guys, like, not spoken to each other in the year like gap between the end of season three and this because they're all just like oh oh i didn't know that oh i didn't know that and it sort of it it feels quite weird compared to sort of the 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 episodes we've had thus far where the autobots are always on the ball and just like you know do what they need to do to fix the problem whereas here they're just like this is kind of what the decepticons usually do like being dysfunctional and it's like well maybe this is what happens when you have two managers like when you have like rodimus and optimus and there's just this like communication breakdown um but i guess we'll get to that in due course indeed and there are like you say it, it is it does bring into question a lot of things that have or haven't occurred in the year since that season three finale. But it also did, I think, a pretty good job of setting the groundwork for things that the Autobots have done well, in some ways. And I'm just glancing at the TF Wiki page here before we get onto some trivia notes. And one of the things that they actually note on here is that up to this point, the Space Bridge has been the province of the Decepticons alone. But this episode establishes that the Autobots have now created their own network because they've linked Autobot City on Earth to Cybertron and Athenia. So in terms of actually developing technology and stuff that I'm sure we said in past podcasts, why the heck can't the Autobots do that? They're now actually doing. So it's yeah. nice to see they have advanced a tad. This is this is this is very true. Um, and 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 also we should note from this first episode that Slag is super adorable when he's sleepy. Um, <laughs> I thought he was very cute when he was just like lying down and just closing his eyes. It's like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> I, I want I want a sleepy Slag now. I mean, there, hang on, there must be a toys inspired by this episode thing. I mean, here, I suspect there? probably, probably not, <laughs> sadly. Um, but we should also finally mention the end credits, which we've already alluded to, are just ridiculous and amazing. Um, and I was not prepared <laughs> for those. <laughs> There's one thing I told you. I said, wait for the end credits. Wait <laughs> for them. And it is a wonderful song. I meant to actually look up who it was that performed it, because I, I can't find the name off the top of my head. But it, the concept of this opening of this closing sequence excuse me is effectively you can be whatever you want to be you can be a train and you see an image of like spike and daniel mimicking a train and it's like oh you can be a spaceship and they just kind of one of them jumps on their back and they just fly into the sky and then it's like be a helicopter and then spike just holds daniel up in the air spins him round and goes flying it's it's so wonderfully 80s dumb. It's so good. 
Yeah, and again, I mean, compared to just, you know, the end credits of every season of Transformers thus far has just been a relatively boring montage. And it's like, no, this is, why did we not get this for every season? Why did we not get young Spike trying, pretending to be Perceptor or something? I don't know. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I feel like we've been robbed of so much, but but this, this was was very rewarding. So here we go. I found a page now. So you are a transformer, or as it is in, in Japanese, Kiwiwa Transformer, was the ending song for the Headmasters. It was sung by Hironobu Kageyama, who did the opening theme. And uh, so actually did both themes and was composed by Takamune Nagishi, who has done... That's our only credit, according to the TF Wiki. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 I mean, to be fair, if I did that, that would be the end of my career as well. I'd just retire and just say, no, I've, I've peaked already. I'm done. <laughs> so, okay, look, Andy, I'm going to do something I wouldn't normally do here. <laughs> I'm going to read some of the lyrics to this song. I think we should. So, uh, oh my God, Andy, I'm, I'm just going to put this out here now. There's a TV size edit and there's a full version of the song. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, the, the trouble is, I feel like the, the the song is good and all, but you need the animation as well. So unless they made a full video for the entire song, then you know. It's, it's I mean, there was a full blown single release. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, I need I need the version with the bonus VHS that has a full animated video to go with it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so the, the lyrics for the TV version are. Are you ready? Three, two, one, zero. You can transform any way you want. Dash, accelerate like a supercar. That's basically how the song goes. Make the earth tremble like a tank. Taxi out and take off like a jet plane. Circle around, hovering like a helicopter. <laughs> There's a transform, transform. You are a transformer. <laughs> Would you like to hear some of the second verse lyrics? Yeah, I mean, is, 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 this is like the national anthem where nobody knows the second verse. <laughs> so, so there's another little bit sort of before we get back to the verse, but the other lyrics include For the sake of justice, let's go, let's fight. You can transform how your rage burns. Then we get back to the verse now. Steam hissing away like an SL. SL is a steam locomotive, according yeah, to the page. Thank you for that, TF Wiki. Stepping heavily like a dinosaur. <laughs> Cut through the darkness like a laser gun. <laughs> Combining the sky like an aircraft carrier. <laughs> well, I mean, that's... I don't know. I think you'd get arrested if you did that. So don't be, don't be too much of a Transformer, would be my PSA. So the steam locomotive is is in relation to the train bot Cayenne. The dinosaur reference, obviously the Dinobots. Laser gun apparently is a reference for Six Shot. Okay. And aircraft carrier, as we'll get onto shortly, Andy, is going to be for Fortress Maximus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not but poor Broadside. Has everyone forgotten Broadside? <laughs> Remember Broadside? It's funny you mention that because I think he comes up in one of the trivia notes in the second I'm going to read. Probably. I seem to recall. Uh, let me just find it now actually hang on um so the the note according to the tf wiki is this this episode marks the first appearance of broadside's final jet mode character model the last time he was shown in jet mode the animators used his pre-final mode which had previously been used in the 1986 triple changer toy commercial okay 
That's the note on Broadside. So apparently Broadside's in here somewhere. Yeah, there you go. There's a Broadside minute. <laughs> so a couple of other random notes here. The, the name of the episode does differ in some places or territories. It's like four warriors from outer space, four soldiers from the sky, warriors from space. It kind of varies from place to place, but the Metrodome DVD, the UK DVD, if you will, that we're referring to, is four warriors from outer space. Or if you want to look at it in Spanish, Andy, Soldiers of the Past. I mean, that's a completely different episode title. It doesn't <laughs> even... Well, I don't know. Maybe it could... No, it doesn't make sense. I was going to try and justify it. That just doesn't make sense. I'm not. I'm not having it. <laughs> so I feel the need to note here. There's just a note here about like the English localization. Sixshot refers to himself as a quote-unquote Phase Six Decepticon officer on some on like on a on the Shout Factory American DVD instead of the original Decepticon Dino Base Ninja Commander. How many different variations of the style are we going to get? Yeah, is 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 this another like we can't use the word ninja in kids' cartoons moment? I guess <laughs> that's probably why it got it got changed to something far more boring. I mean, this is Japan, Andy. So at that point, it's it's fair game, I think. Yeah, but I guess if the Shout Factory, if, if that was the Shout Factory version, they were probably leery about calling anyone a ninja in case they got into trouble. So I suppose at that point, they probably didn't have the the license or the Super Sentai stuff that they do now. Mm, so true. Uh, additionally, the concept the concept of Autobots fleeing Cybertron, which Cup alluded to, was first established in Desertion of the Dinobots Part 2 and revisited in Fight or Flee, both episodes from Season 2. Yeah, that is true. So there we go. I think that's probably going to just about do it for, for trivia notes and such. Because like there isn't a lot to say, partly because we've covered so much already when it comes to establishing this episode. But, uh, but any additional thoughts, Andy, before we attempt to move on to the second episode here? No, I mean, I also haven't mentioned kind of that that prior like history of like you know Autobots and Transformers like fleeing Cybertron. I think I don't know. I'm kind of torn on whether I prefer like this as a as a Headmaster's origin story to what we got in the Rebirth. Like I'm I'm sort of torn on like what I prefer as an idea um, between you know what what the Rebirth does and this because this feels like it has it has a, a lot more kind of depth to like the headmaster's story of just like oh no they've been around for a long time um but you know i guess we can get into that as we get a bit more of that lore in the in these coming episodes yeah as this episode in fact we'll i'll i'll, I'll just say it now the episode we're literally about to talk about episode two mystery of planet master if there's one thing that this is going to establish is how vastly different the origin stories of the headmaster's concept is because to, to, to briefly recap in my brain, and Andy, you might have to correct me here, because admittedly it's been a while since we last talked about Season 4, and now at this point my timelines are all messed up. But we have the Nebulons as a concept there, and them being the the operators of the Autobots in Headmaster's mode and such. And as we're about to find out, that's very different to what we're about, to, to how it is portrayed and ultimately followed up on in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that that's the part that maybe is less interesting with kind of this version of the story because I mean, I don't know whether it's going to kind of do anything more with kind of the the actual head characters um in this series because yeah, like you know, they were very distinct, you know, they were humanoid um with with you know, humanoid personalities uh whereas here 
the intimation is that they're not going to be and then they're just little robots um so yeah i'm sort of that is not really established entirely in these episodes but that seems to be what i'm getting out of it uh which is maybe a little bit less interesting and again i mean that kind of goes against all the the continuity of the toys from what i remember of like their tech specs and bios which is kind of interesting so maybe those were sort of like placed a little differently in japan um but uh, but yeah we, we shall we shall shall get get into some of this law in due course i guess so episode two begins with the respective headmaster teams fighting each other and we get our first glimpse of how the headmasters operate in this series as we've just been discussing it compared to the u.s rebirth version as the head of weird wolf transforms into a mini robot then jumps in a cockpit contained in the remainder of his larger body which then transforms into its respective animal slash vehicle form depending which headmaster it is and they pilot it accordingly we see the other headmasters from both sides do this as well so to expand on this point andy the tf wiki notes specifically on the character page for weird wolf but i thought this was a good sort of point of origin as it were to, to make a note of this in Japan, Weird Wolf is a small robot who transforms into a head and controls a larger, lifeless transector body, as it's phrased. The Headmaster's toy line refers, uh, referred excuse me, to the small robot as Monzo, with Weird Wolf being the name of the combined small robot slash transector form. Though this distinction of, n- of nomenclature, I think I pronounced that right, I haven't said that word in a while, is very rarely made in fiction and he is normally referred to as Weird Wolf, regardless of whatever form he takes. Mm. So when it comes to actually referring to them either way, they are still just called whatever they are called. It doesn't mean they're now just two different names and such. Yeah, yeah. but no, I mean, it's, it's sort of... It's particularly notable what they show with Weird Wolf here, because it is very clearly based on the toy. Because as somebody who owned the Weird Wolf toy, because he... Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Woodwolf is amazing. Like, it's probably one of my favourite Transformers. Watching this episode almost made me want to bust out my box of Transformers to find Woodwolf because it's like, <laughs> oh, I love that guy so much. Um, but yeah, like, that's how the toy works is, you know, there's a little kind of plastic cockpit that you could open up and you, you slot, slot it. Monza, Bonza, wherever his name was inside, um, and and that that was kind of how that worked. So that, that side definitely felt like it's very much a, like, we've designed these characters based strictly on the toys and again i mean one thing that this does that i think i mentioned to you during the the rebirth episodes where you know one of the gimmicks with the toys was that when you plug the head in it shows their tech specs on their chest Mm -hmm. and these episodes very explicitly do that um to kind of show that side of it off which like the 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 rebirth episodes did not um but yeah it's just more that sort of weird thing of like like you say it's kind of like okay like the head is the robot and the rest of it's just like a lifeless thing which is very different to what the sort of the u.s continuity was going for of like no it's it's this symbiotic relationship between transformer and flesh creature basically (laughs) great phrase So as the battle between the newly arrived Autobot Headmasters and Decepticon counterparts rages on Cybertron, Daniel, Wheelie, and others observe from the distant base on Athenia. Daniel, for one, is impressed by the newcomers, but Wheelie's reaction to Daniel is that he's always impressed by things like that. So what's the difference? 
Elsewhere, Galvatron transforms into his cannon mode and blasts at Optimus Prime, knocking the Autobot leader down, but Hot Rod retaliates and Galvatron is forced back. Optimus then decides to leave the others to it to go check on Vector Sigma. In another part of the battle, the Autobot Combiners face off against the Decepticon Combiners. The Autobots are left scrambling for cover when a shot from Bruticus brings down a nearby building. And that's not mincing words there. People were getting crushed, Andy, we saw in some footage. Yeah, And by people, is... I mean robots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is... Uh, again, it's... <laughs> We will very much get into this in future, but again, we are continuing down the sort of the dark Transformers timeline where bad things happen to people slash robots slash characters. Um, which, yeah, this series again, perhaps unsurprisingly, given you know Japan is is generally less churlish about these things, but yeah, stuff stuff happens in this story. <laughs> As the Athenia base watches on, we are now formally introduced to Fortress, who. I'll note now, in the context of Headmasters, it's its own Transformer that pilots the battleship Maximus. And in fact, we come to find out he is just outright the leader of the Autobot Headmasters. And to further expand on this, Andy, when it comes to the naming convention that's referred to, what well, that Fortress is known by when in the subtitles and such, Chris McFeely in his commentary track on, that I watched on the DVD noted that Fortress in the American cartoon is the head of Cerebr is the head Cerebros that kind of then powers everything else with Fortress Maximus. But in the context of Headmasters, Fortress is very much its own entity and its own character. So for the purposes of naming and subtitling, rather than perhaps trying to call him Cerebros or something else, they just decided, no, keep it Fortress, because Fortress is very much its own thing. So that is why that it is named in such a way in the subtitles. Yeah, I, I honestly, I kind of like it that way, that you've got Fortress and Maximus, and then you put them both together and you get Fortress Maximus. That's a lot easier than remembering Cerebros and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I, I think I'm with this. Uh, with, I'm, I'm on board with this decision. I agree. Also, Fortress is cool. Just in yeah. general, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't want to be called Fortress? Quite honestly, I, I might, I might, by by this next episode, you might have to introduce me as Fortress, and I'm just going to change my name by deed, Paul. It'll be my new For name, Fortress Hanley. Yeah, my my, my middle name will be Trainbot. But... <laughs> Fortress Trainbot Hanley. <laughs> so Fortress brings his battleship Maximus into range and starts firing on the Decepticons, and with the Combiners down and under heavy fire. Galvatron calls for a retreat. So if you had that on your bingo card, everyone, you can uh, you can tick that now. That said, though, nothing like what we've seen in the American cartoon. Just very much like, uh, right, we're done. Let's go. <laughs> Let's pull back. Yeah, yeah. Straight, straight to the point. The battle is over, and Hot Rod invites the Autobot Headmasters, including Fortress, back to Athenia. Cup recognizes Fortress, and it turns out he is an old friend of his from Cybertron, and we get a fun small reunion between the two. Cup going on to say, quote, he's an old friend of mine. Fortress was born on Cybertron like all of you. This leads to a flashback sequence with lots of images of war accompanying it and such. Fortress saying, quote, at that time, Cybertron was engulfed in the flames of conflict. My people had an inferior physical strength and transformation skills. We simply trembled in fear. I was appointed to lead the citizens. 
we fled Cybertron and headed for the peaceful planet Master. It's difficult to say that in that way, but that is how it is. The planet is called Master. Just putting that out there, everybody. To continue. We arrived on we arrived on Planet Master and spent years rebuilding our civilization. Through our, through our, our own unique evolution, we honed our skills to transform. At first, we transformed our heads and then assimilated them onto super bodies. That is the history of the Headmasters. Quote. I do feel there's a bit of detail missing there. It feels like we were missing a pretty crucial part of it there. But I'm assuming that's going to be a plot device that will be expanded on later in the show. Yeah, and it's it's a good solid kind of grounding for how all that went down. And also weirdly sort of ties into like the Rebirth version where, you know, um, Cerebros was sort of a pacifist and didn't want to be involved in the fighting. It feels like, again, they've sort of... They've taken the broad character bio and just taken it in a different direction that actually works pretty well. Of just like, okay, yeah, you were you were just real scrawny, so you went to another planet to get buff um, and and avoid the fighting. Um, and it's like, and boy, did he get buff because now he's Fortress Maximus. Um, <laughs> it should be some some kind of like Cybertron like diet and workout like side by side <laughs> image like before and after um by a so by the workout video now <laughs> yeah like this was me 90 days ago this is me now um but uh, no i i really like it as uh, as as a, as a plot point um and yeah that, that's quite nice and also actually like good use for for cup and his like being old of just like oh yeah i remember this guy like eventually it's like i'm sure i've seen you before and then finally we get there um so yeah no i i, I liked all of this bit yeah i like the fact that it's also highlighted that the autobots and transformers more to a point can evolve in that way mm. because it's clear that they had to rebuild the civilization they probably had to adjust to where to whatever planet master is like which who knows if we'll actually ever see it properly. We saw like some glimpses of it in the flashback, but it, it it'll be interesting to see if that's a direction they go in long term in the show. Mm, yeah, and and again, I mean that ties in a sense right the way back to the start of G one and the you know the whole reason that the Transformers all have like you know Earth vehicle modes is that it was kind of an evolution uh, because you know they had to blend into their surroundings. So yeah, it's sort of. It would make sense by extension that all the you know transformers that went to other planets would probably do similar things to evolve and you know adjust to their uh, their circumstances. So yeah, like sh shockingly, everything makes sense for once in Transformers. So I'll take it. To elaborate a little bit more on Fortress's flashback, other imagery that we see accompanying what he is telling us is that the is the, the planet that they fled to we see computer schematics of the evolution on screen as well and when head mode is initiated as it's phrased and there's this obviously you mentioned it already andy but when the heads sort of attach or whatnot and they they go into head-on mode and such you actually get to see the tech specs which specifically highlight their speed, strength, and I believe it's intelligence, because mm -hmm. that's the only thing I could think that INT would be. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's, it's not their, like, internal fortitude or something. <laughs> um, no, in intelligence it is. Internal temperature! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on the real heart, apparently. <laughs> Fortress then continues to say, quote, However, many tragic events have happened. A sect of evil headmasters rebelled against us. Their leader was called Zarak. I'll come back to the name of Zarak in a second, Andy, because I know there's going to be something we're going to have to discuss there for a second. 
We fought to banish them from Planet Master. Zarak and his group of outlaws went on the rampage, attacking other peaceful planets. They developed brutal and magical skills. Zarak then forged links with the Decepticons. We have come to battle against these enemies. So I like the fact that we've established already what the likely big villain of the show is going to be. But there's, from the perspective, Andy, of comparing it to the Rebirth trilogy and this, there is a notable difference in that Zarak... Oh, let me get my brain in gear here. Zarak was the leader of the of the bad Nebulons mm-hmm. that ultimately created Scorponok. Whereas in the context of this... Well, what's the way to phrase this? So, okay. In the Japanese dialogue, Zarak and Scorponok are flipped. So, the actual... What we hear the dialogue saying when they're referring to Zarak, is Scorponok. Which then, no doubt, will mean, later in the show, when there is the actual Zarak, as it were, it's going to be, we're going to be seeing it in the subtitles as Scorponok. It's going to be one of those weird things we're going to have to get around in our headcanon. But essentially, that's how it is. But for the purposes of the actual episodes in the script, they decided to keep with the English naming convention because it has technically already been established to an english-speaking audience yeah yeah i I think it would have been more confusing to do it any other way so uh so it it makes sense We'll, we'll 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 work it out as we go i'm sure Indeed. So the reason I say that now, everyone, is because if we suddenly say Scorponok, we mean Zarak. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving us a get out of jail free there, Andy, now. <laughs> yeah, and to be honest, I just like to say Scorponok a lot because it's a really good name. So, you know, maybe I'll change my name to Scorponok, actually, now I think about it. So, Fortress, so Fortress Trainbot Scorponok Hanley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is getting compli- complicated. You try remembering it, mate. Like, if I'm going to keep doing this each time now, it's going to get longer and longer each time. Back to the story. We then see Optimus Prime heading towards Vector Sigma, but encounters, something I didn't think we were ever going to see again, Andy, the Centurion droids that we saw utterly muller the Autobots in the Key to Vector Sigma two-part story in Season 2. That said, they completely got mullered by Prime, and even now had voices because they screamed in terror as they were pushed off a bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Uh-oh. Again, this episode does have some moments of Optimus Prime doing very un-Optimus Prime things. Like I'm, I, I don't have a problem quite so much with the Centurion robots, but there are there are definitely some sentient beings that do not enjoy the freedom that Optimus Prime purports to uh, to offer them during this kind of sequence of him getting to Vector Sigma. Is all I'm saying. I like the fact, and it's something we've not actually touched on yet, but based on like the battles that we've seen so far. The, the big thing about season three was that the big tonal shift, almost kind of the maturity in some ways of the story and kind of how it was a lot darker in tone. And in hindsight, when you look at Daniel and Wheelie, in many ways, they were kind of the light relief of the show, especially in those couple of episodes where they were the focal point. It was very much a big tonal shift in that sense. I like the fact we're almost getting a bit more direct how you would expect fighting and battling happening. Because when's the last time you saw Optimus Prime basically throw a giant karate kick off a building? Like, that happens across these three episodes we're talking about, and it's a great visual. Yeah, yeah, and again, I think that's the nice stuff about the the action scenes in these episodes, is it's not just the... I mean, we talked about this with, you know, prior seasons, where the action sometimes just descends into just pew-pew lasers from a distance, and that's fine up to a limit, but, like, the series was always 
better with its action scenes when it was a bit more close combat and really getting you know down and dirty with it effectively and i think again because of the 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 animation style and the people involved in this there's a lot more of the kind of hand-to-hand or foot to face stuff um (laughs) with with these episodes and that just makes it feel a bit more kinetic and a bit more physical than just like it's not always just relying on guns um so that is quite pleasing to see but suddenly after prime has got rid of the centurion droids a ghostly figure appears it's a very familiar one andy because it's only alpha freaking trion to which prime prime's reaction is to be confused at what's in front of him which is like oh that's nice you forgot who he was did you i mean to be fair optimus prime has been through some things since the last time they met so i mean you know it's i i can understand him maybe having some issues there and prime even goes so far as to say is like who are you and then moments later knows exactly who he is and an Alpha Trion actually assists him by telling him, look out behind you, as one of the other Centurion droids was lurking and Prime just mullers him. The narrator also describes Alpha Trion as, quote-unquote, the original first commander of the Autobots and the creator of Optimus Prime. I like the fact they've acknowledged the original first commander because we did see that mm. in one of the time-travelling flashback episodes in, that occurred. I think it was in season three. Yeah. Where we yeah. saw like the young Alpha Trion. I seem to recall. I can't remember who the combiner team was. It was the one where there was the big picture. It was probably the aerial bots. Yeah, time I, I think, yeah, I think that was all the aerial bot stuff was was that. But uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean again, decent use of the narrator just to fill in the gaps for people who had not who have not been doing a podcast watching all of G one in <laughs> short order. As the episode continues, we see Trion's ghost accompany Prime as he makes his way through all sorts of defences and traps that we've never seen before in the show when it comes to trying to get to their destination, and Prime is taking some damage along the way as well. We then cut back to Athenia, where Fortress is surprised to hear, much like everyone at this point, that Optimus Prime has not taken the Matrix with him. It's been left on Earth to recharge, (laughs) or as Rodimus puts it, for collecting and storing any released energy. So this is another thing we should touch on briefly here, Andy. And I appreciate there's a lot of deviation here, folks, but it's to kind of just set the scene and establish it. And it's something that Chris McFeely did mention in the commentary track as well when I saw it. In that the Matrix is treated almost as its own energy source, or as a source of energy in the Japanese continuity. And so the idea that effectively you can plug it in and put it on charge is not not something we ever thought we'd see. But then we never thought the energy of the Matrix would be released in the way it would be to cure the entire universe, quite frankly. So it makes sense to a point, but the idea it can just recharge somewhere is a little bit weird. Yeah, I mean, it was... Again, it, it would have been really fascinating to have got like a full-blown season four of the US continuity to see how they were going to handle that. Because, I mean, I think we talked about it at the time of like, you know, the Matrix becomes this big important centerpiece of all things Transformers and suddenly you're like, oh, it's the battery's flat. Like, you know, it felt like season four was going to have to be a big sort of quest to find a way to recharge it. Whereas, yeah, like the Japanese solution to that problem is just like, well, plug it in and leave it at home for a bit. It'll be fine. Um, I'd like to know how much wisdom it gets by doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Who who can can say? Um, But yeah, it's, it's sort of... 
it's kind of interesting, but but functional, I I guess. I mean, the 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 whole Matrix concept is such a mess by this point because we've got like Rodimus and Optimus here, and Rodimus is Hot Rod because he doesn't have the Matrix, but Optimus Prime is still Optimus Prime even though he's left the Matrix at home, like you know on on the on the shelf. Um, so there, there, there's a there's a lot that doesn't necessarily make sense about it at this point. So I think we just have to go with it and just be like, oh, okay, whatever, whatever you say. It's one of those things, Andy, where we have to bring back our phrase of Unicron magic. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Or, or like Actually, anti- wait, does Unicron exist in this universe now? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean that that. I guess. Oh no! What have he, I just said? <laughs> I mean, I guess he he was he was around in enough of season three that he still exists in this continuity, um, which that must have taken some explaining when they made like the season three version of this is like, oh yeah, there's a big giant robot head that's orbiting our Cybertron. There's a whole thing. <laughs> it's like you know because that's again because I mean the number of episodes in season three that are just like let's go hang out at Unicron's head. Um, and that would be really bizarre if you'd never seen the movie, because you're just like, what the heck? What's going on here? How do they explain that Starscream is dead and wants to go back to Unicron's head? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, that none of that really, really makes sense. Also, by the way, do we need to rename this podcast Alpha Trion's Ghost now? Like, is that... <laughs> do we need to consider this? Trion's Ghost. <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll think about that, I guess. Um, we'll see how many more ghosts we get in this show, because it wouldn't surprise me if we get loads of them, quite frankly. Yeah, possibly. So, back to the story. Fortress believes that Optimus will need the Matrix to control Vector Sigma, explaining it's, quote-unquote, the mother computer of Cybertron. It equally supports both Autobots and Decepticons. Until now... The Matrix has used its wisdom and power to control Vector Sigma and shut down any external influence from the Decepticons. Quote. That makes sense. It also feels like that's now going against the grain of the story a little bit, in my opinion. I'm not sure if you agree. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's broadly headed in the same direction. I mean, it's, it's gotten a lot confusing at this point because so many people have, like, opined their their thoughts on like how vector sigma works and what it does and what's going on with it that it's like i i feel like i've lost a little bit of the thread for what the speculation is and what the actual fact is um but i guess i'll take ghost alpha trion man's opinions over hounds (laughs) or galvatrons so sure we'll we'll run with his we'll, we'll run with his version this this is like there's probably like some um like cybertron version of wikipedia that has a whole bunch of edits where it's just like hound versus alpha trion versus galvatron just constantly editing the page being like no actually it works like this and it's like no this this page is contended and eventually the page just the page just gets locked you can't edit it now yeah they're just like stop it guys we we need to figure this out (laughs) But either way, the crux of the story that is most important is that Vector Sigma is basically an all-empowering influence on Cybertron. So whoever effectively gets Vector Sigma's, for want of a better word, approval, gets the entire influence. That that's the, that's the crux of it here. But to do it, you need the Matrix. So there you go. Yeah. Which which kind of I mean, given that we given what we know about how Decepticons can't use the Matrix. 
like that seems like that's inherently biased if it's supposedly like an unbiased system because they're like we we, we saw scourge try to use the matrix and it did not end well um and you know he had a like, bad day yeah and like unicron likewise had a pretty bad time with the matrix like galvatron couldn't open the thing because you know i don't know he didn't didn't bring the right tool to open it up or whatever so it just seems like that is inherently if you need the matrix to use vector sigma then it is inherently an autobot thing um but you know plot holes we, we move on <laughs> <laughs> everyone continues to wonder why prime didn't take it with him cup suspecting that prime is willing to risk his own life fortress agrees hot rod attempts to communicate with optimus as it turns out only optimus knows where the matrix is hidden on earth but of course can't get hold of him yeah because he left his phone at home as well i mean this is this is again this is just like terrible management of like yeah there's a thing that you might need to know while i'm gone but i've not told anybody um like you know it's all it's all it's all on my it's all on my laptop but i'm not giving you the password to my laptop it's like yeah i i know i feel, I feel like this this puts optimus in a very bad light like he should really have sorted this stuff out before he went off on his quest to fix vector sigma Hot Rod's, Hot Rod decides to head to Earth. With uh, accompanying him is Blaster, and they're gonna go by the space bridge to go hunt for the Matrix. He also definitively, I should say, Hot Rod here, and this is. I'm just gonna telegraph this a little bit now, Andy, but it's you immediately knew what was gonna happen when this was said, because Hot Rod, Hot Rod definitively promises to Daniel he will find the Matrix and save Prime. I immediately thought one of those two things is going to happen. You can't do both. We've seen what you're like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is this this is true. I mean, at, at least we've at least this season gives us like a hot rod slash Rodimus that is more comfortable with his position. Um, whether that will continue, like we we will see. But he's not quite as racked with problems before. Also, I can't remember exactly what this is in relation to, but I think it was about this point in the episode. All I've written in my my notes is like seriously, Wheelie is such a jerk. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to mention this as well. But I'll let you carry on. Yeah, and I think because he's just like, uh, I, I mean, I, I I noted that like at the start of this episode, he's been very much that well actually guy to everybody whenever ever, ever anyone's trying to explain anything. But then he's just like he's being a a bit of an well more than a bit of an ass to all of the Autobot headmasters <laughs> and it's just like for no particular reason and it's like just shut up Wheelie like you you had your moment where we almost liked you but now I definitely don't like you again so please be quiet I, I th this is me throwing my own head cannon in now I think it's because he's learned how to not talk in rhyme so now he feels he's just got free reign to talk however he wants and can just impart his wisdom however he sees fit. But, and this is kind of going back to how Daniel was kind of talking and, I was about to say operating, but I'll just say conducting himself because he's not a robot. But it almost is that element of just immaturity. And it's just that coming out. It's almost like he's a teenager and kind of going through a teenage phase. Yeah, and I, I think that is genuinely what this episode is going for, but does doesn't make him any less of a jerk. So mm. <laughs> No, you're not wrong at all, you're not wrong. So, what's gonna happen, everybody? If you don't already know, you'll find out soon. Now, going back to Wheelie, actually, Andy, this actually furthers the point you were gonna say. 
Originally, Chrome Dome offers to accompany Hot Rod, but Wheelie takes great exception to this, saying that he will just be a burden to Rodimus as the Headmasters don't know Earth all that well. And Blaster quells the situation by telling Wheelie to listen to some music and gives him a cassette from his tape deck. Yeah, I, I want to know what's on that cassette. I like. I, I'm very disappointed that they didn't name check. <laughs> like they could have. They could have got. Maybe maybe it's the ending theme to this show. Maybe. I mean, mate, we see at the end of the episode. Do we? Yep, we do. Okay, well, I didn't pay attention to that. I was, <laughs> you were too I, busy I, writing notes at that point. Well, I, I, I yeah, I, I was too busy mourning to be honest. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> so no sooner have the pair reached Earth and are in Autobot City. What happened, Andy? If on your Transformers bingo card you had Decepticon infiltration, you can check that off now because Blaster sees Ratbat hanging on the wall as a cassette tape and is spying on them. Ratbat flees and Blaster sends Steeljaw after him. Ratbat, Ratbat basically leads the Autobots to a storeroom still inside the base where Soundwave is also hiding. <laughs> And we get a fun, brief battle that involves basically all the cassette Transformers just exchanging fire and whatnot. And we even see freaking Ravage making an appearance. This scene, Andy, was great. It was great. Like, it made up for the, the my question of, like, why did Soundwave go inside as well? Because surely when you've got your, like, spy cassette tapes, you wait outside for them. You don't just be like, oh, well, I guess I'll just infiltrate as well, even though I'm a whacking great robot. Uh, but it was worth it because, yeah, it was it was very cool. And I, I, I was all set up after this scene of, like, oh, are we going to have, like, a season-long, like, ding-dong between Blaster and Soundwave? We, we, spoilers we are not <laughs> um, but this was this was good <laughs> so just laughing at the way you said that sorry <laughs> uh, but one of my favorite parts as well is the way it ends because Soundwave just drops a smoke bomb and escapes but not before telling Blaster I'll get you soon <laughs> also Soundwave's voice in Japanese sounds really cool yeah, it is. It's not like I, I saw. I miss like the classic like US voice and the modulation of it, but it's still a good voice for sure. We then see Soundwave and Sixshot relaying the information that they have discovered to Galvatron, and they are ordered to find out why the heck is Hot Rod on Earth. The Autobots then pinpoint likely locations that the Matrix will be hidden and begin searching. Now, another detail added here, Andy, in just casually in passing in the dialogue, is that the Matrix needs a colossal amount of pure energy. In the context of it being in, in a wall charger, what is pure energy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess, <laughs> yeah, it probably needs some kind of special adapter or something. So, Sixshot and Soundwave spot the Autobots heading for a cache of Decepticon Energon in the desert and send the stunticons because again everyone combiners are a thing here and it's great for it to intercept them meanwhile hot rod and blaster go to the arctic when Soundwave spots the two there galvatron orders him to go intercept the two autobots have already run into trouble though because the predacons are waiting for them in what i think is one of my favorite moments of auto just of battling ever andy i think in the context of transformers the predacons attempt to merge into predaking 
And we've seen various ways that transformations can be disrupted or ultimately broken apart. I don't think we've ever seen an Autobot just transform into their car and drive through the middle of them all trying to combine. That was the best thing. Yeah, and it, it makes sense, really, when you think about it. I mean, it's they should probably have done that on the multitude of other times where combiner teams have combined to stop them doing that. But yeah, there's, there's some really good stuff with, like, um, Hot Rod in his car mode in general um, in this. Like, it's sort of... It's one of those weird things where I think Transformers doesn't hasn't always done enough with the vehicle modes of, of, um, of various characters. Um, and this is, this is a good example of that where it's like, oh yeah, like you can, you can do some real cool stuff, especially with like hot rod. Cause you know, he's, he's a hot rod, he's a sports car. <laughs> and so like, you know, you, you can get a good feel for like, you know, the speed and maneuverability and getting to do stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is good fun that you can actually make use of that. And it's not always like all the fighting doesn't have to be in robot mode. But after that wonderful failed transformation moment, Menasaur then arrives, com continuing with the combiner theme here. Superion, again, continuing with the combiner theme, then turns up and keeps the Decepticon combiner busy, but not before Menasaur teases using Hot Rod as a shield while he is still transformed as a car. Why have we never seen this before? Yeah, and, what, and why does Hot Rod not just transform into his robot mode to, <laughs> to escape, more importantly? It's like, oh yeah, I guess I'll just be a shield then. It's like, you could just transform back, surely, and that would give you more <laughs> more stuff you could do. Because especially, again, I guess the movie didn't happen in Japanese continuity, but like, you know, when he gets grabbed by the giant octopus thing, like, you know, he transforms into his robot mode so he can shoot with his exhaust laser gun things and it's like well you could just do that to Menasaur and that would probably you know make him drop you um, but maybe that's why I'm not an Autobot leader I don't know Soundwave and his cassettes then arrive to pick off Hot Rod but Blaster is now on show and his team leap into the rescue Soundwave then declares quote unquote Blaster let's finish this now culminating in a one-on-one -on -one battle between the two communicators that sees them simultaneously punching each other through their respective chests slash tape deck housing, if you will. Soundwave's arm gets knocked off. This is just a proper good punch-up. There's a proper great like wrestling elbow drop from Blaster at one point from the side of a mountain. It's great! But ultimately, Soundwave falls. Well explodes quite literally which galvatron watching on a monitor proper screams in pain about effectively just going sound wave yeah. i mean let, let's not forget these are the, the these are the guys that were holding hands like not that long ago <laughs> i mean you know there is there is clearly some quite the deep bromance going on there at the very least so i, I Genuinely, actually, a little bit touched by that moment, given all of that. I was like, "Oh no!" I actually feel sorry for Galvatron for once. It's like, it's poor, poor guy. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like they miss an opportunity to do a full-blown like kind of montage to some like sad love song of just like all the moments that Sandwave and Megatron slash Galvatron were together in the show, including including the hand holding. Just like you know, I'll remember you forever, Sandwave. And <laughs> or did we get like a little montage? <laughs> yeah exactly you get you get all of that but uh, but no we, we didn't get that but galvatron very upset and understandably so as was i like Soundwave is also cool so it's like you can't 
I, I mean, clearly Transformers can kill characters whenever the hell it likes at this point. <laughs> but still, Soundwave, I, I don't know. And also, going too deep on this now, but what happens to all the, the cassette tapes? Like, are they just homeless now? I know, right? Like, That's what I thought. Do, where do they live? Or, or do they... Do they die with him? I mean, that's kind of dark, but like, how how does all this work? Like, this is this is unprecedented. You know, we're, we're treading new ground here, and that I have a lot of questions. The thing is, though, it, it's especially for like, like we both said it. Soundwave is one of our favorites ever. This is a big deal for like child brain us as it were yeah like one of our favorite characters we've literally just seen explode not even just turn gray just explode yeah and i mean this is episode two (laughs) of the series i mean you know because i i knew that this happened i'd seen the clips but i always assumed this was like right near like the end of the series or something where they're like right we're we're done with Soundwave, we're gonna kill him off but no two episodes in i was not prepared for this and yeah <laughs> like you know i i look i just want to know who's gonna rewind laser beak when somebody plays him <laughs> that's all i need to know i just need to know laser beak is okay and it, it will be rewound properly not using but, a pencil is there a pencil transformer that's just gonna have to like <laughs> rewind him manually now is that how this is gonna go down i don't know is he just is the is the pencil transformer just going to be called lead? <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good name for a transformer, to be fair. <laughs> but Andy, that's not the only death that happens at this it's point, not. because as Hot Rod goes to help Blaster, he falls to the ground and turns grey, with his cassettes and Hot Rod around him. But Blaster's final words were him wanting Hot Rod to protect Prime. And at that point, Steeljaw is instructed by Hot Rod to take care of this situation, which I felt was a little bit harsh, given the moment. But I understand, Hot Rod. You gotta do your thing. Because Hot Rod goes to continue looking for the Matrix. And the last thing we see in this scene is Laserbeak and Buzzsaw. Yes, Buzzsaw, everyone. Both of like the flying cassette tapes retrieve parts of Soundwave, Laserbeak specifically grabbing the head of Soundwave and flying away. Holy crap, Andy! <laughs> yeah, I mean that. The, yeah, it, it all. It, there's a lot there. Like it, it all got very dark, and I, I in ways that I really appreciate. For, to be honest, like the the, the workman like version of like you know. Even and this is Hot Rod being Hot Rod, not even Hot Rod as Rodimus, which is sort of a slightly weird kind of character thing. Just being like, no, we just got to get on with this. Like, you know, we're in a war. This is terrible, but let's just deal with this and move on. Um, and then, yeah, like, I don't know. Retrieving Soundwave's head seems a little bit weird, but I guess, I don't know, Galvatron can give him a decent burial or something, I suppose. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> you've just killed two kind of beloved characters who have been regulars in this show from like day one well day one in Soundwave's case like season two in blasters or broadcast as i notice he's he's called in the japanese which is actually i think that might be a better name it makes um, sense doesn't it yeah right. it's like it, it just sounds really good um but yeah you've just killed these two characters in like no time at all um and it's like oh okay jesus it's like it's again Weirdly fits in with like the movie continuity that Japan never got to see um, of just like yep this is this is what happens when Transformers fight seriously then you know th- they die and and here here we are 
there is a weird parallel in some ways in that there are obviously some glaring things that wouldn't make this totally work, but parts of what we've seen in these two episodes could actually make for a movie replacement to actually make the continuity work leading into season three, as dumb as it sounds. Or season yeah. three never happened sort of thing. There are elements of it that, that, that... Obviously, it's a lot that can't work, like the introduction of so many combiners and whatnot. But there are elements of it where you think, if this hadn't happened, but this had, that would have been pretty damn awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they could certainly... You know, the, 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 their body count is getting up there with the movie already. So, you know, they're, they're definitely on, on that on that trajectory. And they're not done yet. So. <laughs> Back on Athenia, the Autobots react with sorrow to Blaster's death. Wheelie begins playing the tape that Blaster left for him. And it's kind of just some, like, almost classical style music. Which is almost <laughs> even worse. It's like, oh no, don't do this to me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like it's, Blaster knew. <laughs> Well, yeah, it also just sounds like Blaster was trolling Wheelie of just like, oh yeah, I'll give you some music to listen to. It's like, here you go, you have some Mozart. Like, cause he's expecting some like... funk or something and just didn't yeah, get he that. Was, yeah, like he was probably there for some, like, I don't know, the, the new Coolio album or something. And it's like, oh no, was, you, you've given me classical music again. So yeah, Blaster had the last laugh as it turns out. But once again, Daniel, I mean, Daniel really needs a therapist at this point because he has been <laughs> repeatedly traumatized. I mean, he's learned far more about death than any like seven to ten year old should in like the course of like a couple of years. <laughs> and it's like, please, somebody like help this child. He went through Dark Awakening and everything involving Zombie Prime, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he has been through a lot, like, you know, notwithstanding blowing up the entire Autobot archive, which I will never not bring up when we're talking about <laughs> Daniel. Um, but yeah, like, God, it's an, another, another one. Uh, and uh, yeah, tough, tough times for Daniel. It's at this point that Chrome Dome announces that the Headmasters have to go to Earth to help Hot Rod. And after the stuff he said earlier about them just being a burden, Wheelie simply responds by looking at Chrome Dome and saying that they're depending on them. And the two shake hands. Wheelie has grown up just a tad. The episode concludes with visuals of Prime still making his way to Vector Sigma and Hot Rod driving across the Arctic. And that is how episode two of Headmasters ends. Holy cow, Andy. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think this is where we, we can peek behind the curtain here that our original thought was we were just going to do two episodes on this. And then I was basically like texted you to be like, we've got to do three episodes, Jeremy. We can't, <laughs> we can't just leave it here. I'm watching episode three, whether you like it or not. Um, and then I, I did. Um. <laughs> but this is one thing that's... One thing we've not actually really spoken about yet, but already this emphasizes very much, this is a very much anime thing that, that happens, but even just from these two episodes, aside from the ultimate doom, we never got a continuous flowing through story just evolving ever so slightly in each episode for more than maybe two episodes. And you already know that this is going to be a big, long, I think it's 35 episodes at the end this season. And the story's just going to keep going and building. This this is great. I'm loving this so much. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really interested to see how it how that goes because obviously, like the first these first three episodes are kind of their own little arc, and I'm sort of interested to see. 
how much of it kind of sticks with you know a broader narrative and how much of it because i assume at least some of it is going to be more sort of individual stories um but yeah this is definitely a really good arc you know it's it's got it does that smart thing of it it, it has you know because it, it splits out things into a few different locations it has quite a lot going on to kind of keep things fresh in different places um so you can always just switch from from one to the other um and so it has a lot going to keep it interesting um and then yeah it just you know has some good action kills a couple of characters like what more could you ask for <laughs> So from there, we venture to the TF wiki to see some, some trivia notes, or perhaps some things we may have missed that is worth noting. First of all, Andy, something we haven't actually touched on, but I think it's worth mentioning. Steeljaw can talk. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um... Although his fellow animal cassettes, the TF wiki notes, Ramhorn, previously talked in Forever is a Long Time Coming, Steeljaw never indicated he had the gift of gab until now. Yeah, it makes it makes you wonder whether like Ravage and Laserbeak can talk and just choose not to. Because um, if if Steeljaw can, then surely they all can. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's kind of bizarre. But hey ho. In this episode, we get the first appearance of the combined train bots of Raiden slash Raiden. However, we eventually figure out to pronounce it. That is the first episode, although it's nothing more than an extremely short cameo as he's forced to run off thanks to Bruticus. <laughs> Once again, the debut of a combiner form cannot win. Yeah. Uh, the TF Wiki says that people who haven't seen it think... People who haven't seen it think the fight between Blaster and Soundwave is awesome. It's really not. Oh, I don't know. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I disagree with that personally. But, uh... <laughs> my god okay in the english dub for this episode steeljaw is shockingly unaffected by blaster's death after blaster's tragic last words and i think after hot rod has kind of said can you take care of the situation apparently steeljaw's response is a cheery all right chief <laughs> after rodimus <laughs> tells him to do that <laughs> well i mean i guess if you've been just trapped inside blaster for all those years and probably had classical music recorded onto you against your will maybe he was quite happy to be freed that's all i can think <laughs> so a couple of sort of subtitle notes here so in the shout factory subtitles a blaster refers to his mini cassettes as deployers when noting their sensors uh, this term is consistently used in their translation interesting uh, in the original the energy on Earth that was being used to recharge the Matrix was left unspecified, but Shout Factory subtitles have it to be plasma energy, specifically. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've had plasma energy kicking around in Transformers before, so makes sense. <laughs> also, remember how we were talking about the naming of Fortress and Cerebros? Oh, Apparently, yeah. Shout Factory subs have it as Cerebros. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think they did try to stick with original naming wherever they could, so mm. makes sense. And uh, not to be a spoiler here, but uh, we do get a silhouette of, of Zarak as part of one of the flashbacks earlier in the episode. But we don't actually see Zarak appear in the show for, for a little while yet. There's still, still some more episodes before we will eventually get to see Zarak somewhat in person. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, guess guess he's just on vacation right now. He's just a bit, <laughs> bit busy. Can't, can't help with this whole Vector Sigma thing. Uh, in terms of foreign localization, it's basically exactly the same. It, it like 
it's the history of Planet Master, the, the mystery of Planet Master. Although apparently the, the English dub, it's the tale of the Master Star. Hmm, okay. I mean, it's a planet, not a star, but fine. Sounds, sounds fancy. So, uh, so there we go. So Andy, before we move on to our third and final episode of the day, any additional notes regarding episode two? believe they killed Soundwave, honestly um but no i mean it's a good good episode like and again i mean if if episode one kind of set out its stall narratively like i feel like this episode sets out the stall for the series tonally of just like oh okay like this is not you know nothing is off the table here in terms of character deaths you know there's the stakes are quite high here and it's like okay it definitely you know lit a fire under me of just like oh no okay this is not just gonna be you know, robot fun times. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in seeing where they go next. So let's advance to our third and final episode of the day. That being Birth of the Fantastic Double Prime. In many ways, quite a misleading title when, after we get through it. Yeah, I will that, say... That, that, oh, that, that, I guess that, that also just sounds like, you know, some kind of McDonald's burger that they've just yep. like introduced as well. Get your double prime burger now for only how much? I don't really go to McDonald's for four ninety nine. There you I go. Was, I, I, was try, I was trying to think of some Transformers currency. Uh, only two hundred credits. <laughs> only two hundred Energon cubes. <laughs> or Energon chips. We've had those before, haven't we? Yeah, we have had Energon chips as well. There we go. So th- I think this is a good time to to mention how the title cards for the episodes. And this is partly in case anyone wants to join us, depending how many episodes we ultimately cover of Headmasters. The title cards will spoil stuff for you. I'm just going to put that out there right now. So, in the interest of you perhaps not wanting to watch the title cards before the episode begins proper, don't just don't be surprised, or at the very least, don't don't read what the subtitle says because at some point in the show, it will spoil basically probably what happens near the end of the episode for you. Mm. Arguably, this title card does that but we shan't describe what is on there yeah yeah and it's uh i feel like again this is sort of a classic sort of especially i feel like japanese kids cartoon thing where they often whether i i suspect it's probably especially from this era it's a kind of like tv listing magazine thing where you know you look at you see the episode title and you're just like oh well i want to see you that thing happen rather than kind of perhaps the more modern thinking of like, well, no, you don't want to spoil what's going to happen so people watch it. This is more of a like, this is how you get people to watch it by saying you're going to see this thing happen. Um, and I, I think that's we're probably going to see a fair amount of that, I suspect, across the course of this season. Although it still doesn't give everything away, to be fair. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But if I recall from when I watched Headmasters as much as I did before... There is an episode where it outright, the title card gives away something that literally happens in the very last moment of the episode. Yeah. I say, I, can't, I do not remember the context at all, but I recall that happening. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a, a relatively frequent thing that you see in these kinds of shows. Um, but yeah, if, if, you're, if you're a spoiler averse, then unfortunately the titles have, have no, no interest in that for you. So, episode three begins with Hot Rod and the Autobot Headmasters searching for the Matrix in the final possible location it could be, we are told. Galvatron then arrives at the Decepticon Earth base, so that's a thing now, everyone, with Cyclonus. Yes, everyone, he still exists. 
and the Decepticon Headmasters. We then get the following dialogue exchange between Cyclonus and Galvatron. Cyclonus saying, what's this new director of Earth HQ like? They're referring to Sixshot, by the way. Galvatron saying, a tough guy. He's a bit odd, but you can trust him in battle. Cyclonus responds with, and you think this guy is worthy of my total loyalty? Galvatron responds with, <laughs> you want to betray him and find out? To which Cyclonus, literally cowering in fear, ever so suddenly, just goes, no, 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 I, I would never betray him. And it's yeah. like, the tonal shift of this, Andy, I literally just went, what the heck just happened to Cyclonus? Yeah, I mean, my, my note is like, what, what have they done? Why have they made Cyclonus wimpy? Because it's like, you know, the, the, the season... Because, I mean, Cyclonus was kind of like the MVP of season three half the time. Like, he, he was the one person that managed to keep kind of Galvatron in line to a certain extent. Um, and so, yeah, it feels like a big turnaround for... Well, A, the fact that Sixshot has basically taken his job... Uh, it kind of feels like uh but also the fact that yeah that, that whole kind of cowering in fear thing it's like no this isn't the cyclonus that i know um so that that definitely is a moment that felt a bit weird compared to what we've had before following that conversation there is little time for pleasantries as galvatron just outright cuts off cyclonus as he's introducing himself to six shot and orders everyone to just go stop hot rod so the decepticons can claim the matrix for themselves and after, they also now... So, to follow on from what happened at the end of season... I need to say season two, that's a wrong word. Episode two. When it came to Laserbeak and Buzzsaw retrieving parts of Soundwave. We effect get the remnants of a report from Soundwave's tape deck. And Sixshot specifically vows to take care of Hot Rod after what they hear. Elsewhere... Now aware of what the Decepticons' plans are, we see Ultra Magnus coordinating the Autobot response, with a few of the classic G1 characters, along with both the Technobots and Protectorbots, aiming to help Hot Rod. The first instance we see the Protectorbots intercepting the Decepticons is against the Combaticons, that sees action between Defensor and Bruticus, with the latter, ultimately Andy, being crushed by boulders in a ravine. Yeah, it's been it's been a while since we've had a good ravine in Transformers, so <laughs> Hot Rod's team have been fruitlessly searching the last location. Now, it's name checked in passing only as the last secret base. So make of that what you will, everyone, but I felt the need to note that. And they're becoming demoralized at their lack of success. But then Hot Rod begins to wonder if maybe the Matrix is hidden somewhere more obvious than one of the secret Autobot bases, so as to trick the enemy. We then cut back to Athenia, where Blur is getting quite antsy about the lack of news regarding how well the plan is or isn't going, and Cup starts looking like he's going to tell another old war story when Fortress comes in and announces he is going to Cybertron to pass on the news of the search for the Matrix to Optimus Prime. Despite Cup's worries about the basement complex of Cybertron, i.e. The, the depths, the dweller of the depths, if we go back to a past episode, <laughs> Fortress assures him he knows it well. Now, a note from me here, Andy. There was an interesting character note here when Cup is sort of rallying everyone to believe in Hot Rod. 
because everyone starts just saying that they completely trust him. And it's interesting because we very rarely, if ever, got that sort of acknowledgement for Hot Rod slash Rodimus Prime in general in the early, well, in the earlier seasons, if you will, season three, as it were. So it was kind of a refreshing change to see that. And even just that, and the way that Hot Rod's been conducting himself in these episodes, it is a really great, it's just a great difference in character development. It actually already makes me think, you know what? If Hot Rod were to have to be leader at one point, or kind of be in the Ultra Magnus role of being like one of the, the, the upper tier commanders, I totally trust him now. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard to tell whether this is just like the direction that they chose to take or whether this is a very deliberate off the back of season three because it did feel like by the end of Return of Optimus Prime kind of, you know, Hot Rod slash Rodimus had sort of sorted himself out a little bit in terms of his crisis of confidence and, and, you know, was sort of on an even keel. So it's sort of, I feel like consistency wise it sort of makes sense that like okay you know fast forward a year down the line from that and you know having getting to hang out with optimus he's probably found kind of you know a maturity and a, and a belief in himself to be able to conduct himself better um so i'm kind of willing to buy into that as being just like yep this makes sense in the continuity um but it might also equally just be like nah, let's just make hot rod competent this time um <laughs> from the writer's point of view we then cut back to Cybertron, where Optimus Prime is still journeying through the catacombs to find Vector Sigma. He then opens a door and is attacked by energy leeches. Or, as the subtitles describe them, electric leeches from ancient times. <laughs> Which is a much better description, to be fair. I like it. They also describe them as being, like vampires, they suck out all the energy from your body. Optimus Prime is impacted by this and ultimately has to run out of the room because he can't cope. <laughs> Prime's not having a good day. Back on Earth, Hot Rod and the Headmasters reach an Energon store only to be confronted by the Terracons. While the Headmasters fight the Terracons, who at this point have combined into Abominus, which overpowers the Headmasters, the Technobots then combine into Computron. To continue to fight with the Decepticon team. I'm not going to lie, Andy. Trying to remember all the names of these combiners off the top of my head in this show so far at, at any given moment has been a bit of a mission. It's been a test of my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's, there's a lot. I, I had legit sort of almost forgotten because they get dropped in so piecemeal just how many combiner teams there are at this point. Because it's like, you know... Remember the good old days when it was just Devastator, and now, yeah, you've, you've got all of these other teams just cropping up as well. It's it's a lot. It's almost like Japan knows what giant robot toys will sell the best. Yeah, they sure <laughs> they sure do. And, and, and that are the most cumulatively expensive, because you have to buy five of them every time. Exactly. So that fight continues. While that is going on, Hot Rod is convinced by his comrades to just go inside the Energon storehouse and try and find the Matrix. We see him going through the building and he locates a hidden chamber, which I think this is the first time we've seen this, Andy, or at least it's the first time we're acknowledging it, but in the context of Transformers in general, we haven't seen it before Headmasters. But we get to see him sort of just looking around and like lots of sort of schematics and scanner readings appearing in his eyes, as it yeah. were, which is a really cool visual. 
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of it's that classic, especially fun of I feel like sort of eighties classic sort of you know Terminator etc etc readout. Although I was very alarmed to see some go to commands turning up in there, and as somebody who did some programming stuff when I was younger, there's one thing I was taught never to use, and that's go to commands because they're very unreliable and inefficient. So if the Autobots have been programmed badly, then you know I'm just saying that they might they might need some recoding is all. Maybe that would explain Rodimus's crisis of confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a go-to in the wrong place, and it's just taking him to the to the emotional turmoil part of his programming all the time. <laughs> Rodimus, uh, sorry, oh, Hot Rod. So I'm so used to saying Rodimus, I can't not say Hot Rod very easily. But Hot Rod locates the hidden chamber, which he detects via the scanners that in his eyes that we mentioned, and ultimately, Andy. To open this hidden chamber, he doesn't go and find a door. He does what any other giant robot who's under a time crunch would do. He just punches the floor. Makes a big hole. And what does he find in there? The Matrix. He then dashes outside to where, at this point, the Autobots have defeated Abominus. And they just tell him, get to the space bridge. And he begins running with the Matrix. Yeah, if, if only he had some kind of vehicle mode that would allow him to move more quickly towards the space bridge. But alas, he had to run, apparently. He couldn't transform and just have the Matrix on his passenger seat. Yeah, you know? now, I, I, I don't have many kind of like sofa commentary moments when I watch Transformers, but I was literally there just shouting at the TV, like, just transform into a car, you idiot. Like, <laughs> why why are you running with this? I mean, even in terms of just, you know, safely transporting it, like, you can just throw it in your... Toss it in the cockpit as you go. Or, or put it in the chest cavity that you have specifically for the Matrix <laughs> that would also make you Rodimus Prime, who is a stronger robot that's also an option like multiple options that were not just run with it really fast i mean in fact everything positive i've said about the the new hot rod slash rodimus i take it all back he's still an idiot like what was he doing here <laughs> terrible terrible we, we had just built him up so much there and yeah. all it took was for him to just run <laughs> or not run and drive <laughs> exactly right but the thing is though andy we're proven right because literally moments later he runs into Galvatron and the three Decepticon headmasters. And all he had to do was just drive past them. Yeah, yeah. And also at this point, he's now to stop dead in his tracks by mind wipes hypnosis. So he's just now like, I can't move. Oh no. <laughs> at which point the other Autobots come to rescue him. Computron then keeps the Decepticons busy while Hot Rod, now able to move, and the headmasters, the Autobot headmasters, excuse me, head for Cybertron aboard the train bots. Did you keep up with that, everybody? Because it was difficult trying to note that down. They then use the space bridge and are Cybertron bound. On Cybertron, Vector Sigma's destabilization continues with the planet now on the verge of self destruction. Which this now adds a different element, Andy, in what is actually going on with Vector Sigma? Is there like a time limit on this for how long it could just be on neutral ground for? Yeah, maybe. maybe. It's probably all those go-tos in the code that's just making it all very, very messy. This is the part with the Vector Sigma element where I, I'm, I am very confused as to what exactly is going on. Yeah, I, I mean, Vector Sigma is basically like the, the kind of MacGuffin of this entire arc where it's like they've not 
they've not really thought this part through. I feel like it's just like we need we need a center point that everybody has to race towards and some kind of stakes in it, and then I don't know question mark question mark vector sigma stuff. Now, Andy, when the planet's on the verge of self-destruction, and you've got to take your mind off it, there are many things one could do. You could run in panic. You could maybe have some food, you know, last meal, I'm going to have some comfort food, as it were. You could just turn to drink, quite frankly. You know, I'm sure there's lots of energy on there. I wouldn't have expected Daniel and Wheeling going to a barcade playing some video games, being what they would have decided. I don't know. That sounds like the most Wheelie and Daniel thing to do at the end of the universe. So, yeah, why, why not? I mean, it's not like they... Probably their first choice was like, oh, well, we'll hit up Blaster and listen to some music. Oh, no, wait, we can't do that anymore. Barcade it is then. It's like, well, we'll hit up Blaster. Oh, I feel sad. <laughs> Blaster's gone. And uh, also, we don't get to hear a lot of the conversation because they're cut off by, like, a, an earthquake-style tremor. But they're look like, it's looking like, excuse me, they're about to discuss what they both think of Fortress. So that's clearly going to be a bit of a through line of... They may trust, sort of, the, the headmasters to help them out and such, like we saw with Wheelie in the, in the last episode. But maybe Fortress, they're still not entirely sold on at this moment. God, I hope, I hope they're not going to try and find out when his birthday is. You said it now, it's going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> Speaking of Fortress, we see him entering Cybertron's catacombs, following Optimus Prime's trail, and he does that through a, a unique ability of his that we are introduced to, because he has got telepathic powers and sensors, and he communicates with Alpha Trion's ghost in order to guide Optimus Prime through the tunnels. It's like, sure, <laughs> of course, of course he does. I'm not going to question it. But his warning that there is danger approaching where they are at that point comes a little too late to prevent Optimus Prime from running into Andy. Giant rats. With spikes yeah. on their backs. Not robots, um, mind you, actual living rats. Yeah. Not living for very long, though, as it turns <laughs> out. Optimus Prime has no problem with just offing them. Optimus Prime ain't taking no shit today. No, no. It's like, again, it's just his, his like, oh yeah, you know, freedom is the right of all sentient beings, but not you. <laughs> you just get blasted. You see, but this also adds credence, Andy, that the, that the Autobots clearly didn't have everything in order because they really need to get pest control in. Well, yeah, I mean, it does, you know, you can understand that being a problem while the war's going on because it's, you know, not priority number one, but this was supposedly Cybertron at peace. You'd have thought they'd be sorting out such such matters but but clearly not again yeah very dysfunctional <laughs> maybe this is why vector sig was about to explode it's like clear up the pest problem yeah yeah it's like, like i'll bring galvatron in here if you can't fix this <laughs> i'll go neutral <laughs> i'm warning you <laughs> so optimus prime fights them off and then heads down a different path at last finding the chamber where vector sigma is contained at this point Prime notes that Vector Sigma has some amazing defensive capabilities and that his and that his own power, Optimus Prime that is, may not be enough to sort out the situation. You could have thought that before you made this really long journey here. But... Yeah, yeah. I like the way you get to Destination. Like, oh, I should have brought the Matrix. <laughs> Great. <laughs> now you notice. But as he approaches Vector Sigma, it turns out that Cyclonus and Scourge have been waiting there the whole time because they beat him there 
Cyclonus. How, how? I, I need to ask how, because we've been on this long, like three episode long epic journey of Optimus Prime. Was there just like a front door that just like Cyclonus and Scourge went through? Like, oh, there we go. We're back to Sigma. And it's just like, you know, this. I have questions. I mean, given that we saw Optimus Prime go into so many wrong rooms and take so many wrong turns because, you know, the ghost of Alpha Trion couldn't be a good GPS for him. <laughs> it may have been, hey, th- there you go. They can both turn into flying vehicles. They clearly have GPS. Yeah, I, I mean, it could well be they just flew past all the obstacles or something, but it just it just very much feels like there was an, an an easier entrance. It's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like you're playing a video game and you've got the very difficult, circuitous route to get a place, or you you can just fast travel. And they just <laughs> they just did the fast travel. And they're like, there we go, we got there straight away. You're just like, oh, I don't want to go through that giant cave with all those. I'm just going to fast travel past yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe Optimus was just XP grinding, and that's why he went on that version. <laughs> Cyclonus says when he, when they are revealed to be there, quote unquote, "We've been expecting you, Optimus Prime. As long as Vector, as long as Vector Sigma is deranged, this is where you die." At this point, I'm just like, is Vector Sigma just having a mental breakdown? What is going on? <laughs> We then see the two Decepticons get the upper hand on Optimus Prime because of their two-on-one advantage. Not something that we saw too often, Andy, before. So it was actually nice to see the Decepticons actually using tangible teamwork. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, certainly, especially from, like, post-movie time, it was, like, yeah, it was pretty much every man for himself all the time. In fact, they, it was usually the Decepticons actively fighting against one another. So, yeah, a bit of teamwork can never go amiss. At this point, the narrator notes, quote, Now that Vector Sigma has power over Cyclonus and Scourge, he has an almighty struggle on his hands. Which, to me, implies Vector Sigma has possessed Cyclonus and Scourge to to stop Prime from trying to do what he's going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it continues to be yeah like i this is very much where some of the story is just falling apart at this point yeah yeah it's 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 certainly not clear at best exactly what what we're dealing with here at this point but we shall move on fortress galvatron hot rod and the headmasters all soon arrive in quick succession into the chamber of vector sigma and turn the tide of battle i appreciate i said galvatron in that it's just the way i wrote it down please don't at me Alpha Trion's ghost then converts itself into energy, saying, quote-unquote, O almighty Matrix, resurrect yourself with cosmic wisdom and power. This causes Alpha Trion to then merge with the Matrix, which at this point is being held high by Hot Rod. It re-energizes the Matrix, and in turn causes Hot Rod to become Rodimus Prime. At this point, the opening theme to the show kicks in, and that's when you knew stuff was about to happen, Andy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah point. always, for sure. And the narrator literally says, quote-unquote, Behold, a dramatic moment in history. The birth of double Optimus Prime. <laughs> to which I thought, really? This is, yeah, this, this is, this, that's, not, that's not how this works at all, but... 
you could say two primes in the same like i'm not gonna get into it yeah i mean again this is where just, just double prime is all you need to know but they yeah. clearly just just got a little bit too excited like there are two optimus primes it's like well there was there will soon be fewer than that but is optimus still prime i, I i'm not gonna get into this so just <laughs> we'll just call it like it is the two primes team up to defeat the decepticons which sees galvatron literally thrown into a wall and being stuck in it <laughs> Quite yeah, a God, this was funny for me because it was like Shades of Transformers the movie, but just didn't quite finish the job because, like in Transformers <laughs> movie, he just gets thrown out into space. This time, I guess th- th- this building clearly had like better insulation or something than Unicron, <laughs> and so he just gets kind of stuck halfway. And it's it's kind of an incredible moment of just like you know we've we've just had this like momentous moment in history, and then we're almost immediately followed by just like Galvatron just like wiggling his legs in that like comedy. <laughs> I've been st- I'm stuck in a wall fashion um which was quite help i'm I'm stuck it's it's great (laughs) so that happens but just as rodimus prime is about to recharge optimus prime with the matrix just roll with me everybody on this this gets a bit confusing vector sigma starts to just flare up dangerously like all sorts of stuff happening this leads optimus prime to say quote unquote rodimus you have many important tasks ahead of you I'll deal with Vector Sigma. Optimus then leaps into action in the only way he can, but is cut off by Galvatron, who's now freed himself from being stuck in the wall very rapidly. And I say briefly in all of that, because Optimus Prime picks up Galvatron and throws him at Vector Sigma, (laughs) and then, then proceeds to just grab the mother computer that is Vector Sigma before a giant beam of light is unleashed. Things calm down. We're not blinded by the light. Galvatron, seemingly unscathed, just leaves. Just gets up and leaves. But it turns out, Optimus is not so lucky. Rodimus grabs Optimus's body and turns him over. But Optimus is starting to turn grey. And we hear a line of dialogue, which I think is more an internal line, Andy. I don't think it was like an external thing. It came across as an, as an internal thought to me. But Optimus says, quote unquote, I leave it in your hands, Rodimus. You are a great commander. Follow in my steps and fight for an Autobot victory and for peace. And then Optimus Prime turns grey. Again. you know what andy i'm just gonna call this like it is if that had been how optimus prime had handed or if that had been just outright how rodimus had become rodimus and he hadn't necessarily cost optimus prime his life if that was the way that the mantle would have been handed over nobody would have hated hot rod at all no, this 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 is true. I mean, it's it's, it's almost funny that, that I'm always surprised that they didn't make it his fault again because they had the opportunity <laughs> there to do that. But no, like this this was a, a very. I mean, I still don't understand entirely what happened, given that Galvatron gets away scot free and is just very much like throw me once, shame on you; throw me twice, shame on me. I'm out of here. Um, like uh, how he just bounces off that, I have no idea when it 
kills Optimus, but I guess I'll I'll run with that. I I, I also feel like Optimus is kind of closing line there should be like following my footsteps just with less of the dying bit because that's <laughs> probably probably more sound advice. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> another one bites the dust is <laughs> basically well. I mean, my my notes just said Prime died again? Question mark exclamation mark. Um, but but here we are. So. I've just done a quick search on the TF wiki here just to see if there is a note about this to try and elaborate. Uh, I'm going to read this verbatim. So it's, um, Optimus Prime later died again <laughs> uh, in another act of self-sacrifice, of course, when he walked into Vector Sigma and tried to bring it back under control directly. His body turned grey as he died, followed by a likely, uh, by a likely only symbolic scene of him telling Rodimus, that it would be his responsibility to keep the Autobots going and continue his work, uh, seen as a trans, um, yeah, seen as a transparent sort of holographic figure a short time later, which we'll get onto in a second. But yeah, basically, even a TF wiki can't really elaborate on that either. So, yeah. but the one note I do have here, and I've sort of looked at various things to try and ascertain this. The TF wiki also speculates specifically on the episode page and synopsis, the Optimus Prime fused his own essence with Vector Sigma. Kind, and I'm guessing that implies like Alpha Trion did in the Key to Vector Sigma two-parter. Yeah, that's probably what they're going for in fairness, is, is something along those lines. So that that kind of makes more sense. Mm. So uh, we'll just have to go with that, basically. But, with all of that being said, we then hear the narrator, who says, quote... With valiant support from Fortress and the Autobot Warriors, Rodimus Prime has wrestled control of Vector Sigma from the jaws of danger. Debatable, but sure. Uh, end quote, sorry. Uh, then we cut, not the debatable part, that was before that, but you know what I mean. We then cut to the planet Char, Andy. Char still exists. Mm -hmm. And I've got to say, they've really done up the place because they've now got a base there. They're not just lying outside homeless. Finally, if, if, if you had Decepticons build a new base on your bingo card, you can check that one off, because that's been a little while coming. And inside the base, we see that all the troops essentially have been brought together, and Galvatron is addressing them. Over the top of the pictures that we see, the narrator says, quote, However, now that Galvatron and his Decepticons have learnt the secret of Vector Sigma, they cannot rest in peace. The enemy is sure to make a counterattack. Quote. My first thought is, I'm guessing the secret of Vector Sigma is it could just whoever has the power controls it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be the the thing, isn't it? It's it's going to be you know trying to find ways to get control back or just blowing up Cybertron again. Why not? Like we've not, <laughs> not done that for a few episodes. I mean, it'd be nice if we could just get clarity as to what the heck the secret is. But you well, know. <laughs> <laughs> Then we see Rodimus looking into the sky, and as I was mentioning a second ago when I was reading a bit from another page, he's sort of looking towards the sun and can see kind of like a ghostly image of Optimus Prime, kind of like imagining he's in the sky and such. The narrator saying, quote, Rodimus Prime, follow the last wish of Commander Optimus Prime and rise up and fight for Autobot victory and for peace. The episode then ends with the now Commander Rodimus Prime and the headmasters driving off as the episode fades to black and we get the wonderful ending title sequence. Hmm. 
which is, I mean, kind of the ending titles feel like they're a little bit out of out of sync with the mood of the end of that episode, but it's still good. So that's fine. it's like we go from like a very somber ending, and then suddenly we just cut into music of da 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 da. Daniel being a helicopter. Like, okay. <laughs> but um, but yes, Optimus Prime's dead again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, not not even at Optimus Prime will return. Narrator promises, like, no, he's gone this time. We're not bringing him back. Uh, I mean, heck if I know at this point. You know, for all we know. Will we get Power Master Prime at some point? Who knows? Um, I I genuinely do not know because I I do not know. But but, but this episode was really great. Just a great, not only a great, like, trilogy of episodes to start the show here, but just a great episode. Obviously... There are some glaring story elements which we couldn't even figure out between the two of us, which have gone a bit AWOL. But that aside, just really, really great stuff. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the thing is, like, the nitty-gritty about Vector Sigma kind of doesn't matter too much. And certainly at this juncture, you know, it's more just conceptually, like I say, that is the MacGuffin for everybody to fight about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a really good, it's a really good story arc. Like, you know, it's... It, like I say, it, it very much sets a tone, and I'm curious to see whether it keeps that tone up throughout the entire series. Um, Headmasters didn't do a whole lot for a series <laughs> called The Headmasters, I'll say. Like, they turned up, they helped to look around for some stuff, and that was kind of it. Um, so hopefully we get a bit more of them up front and centre in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is certainly a good kind of onboarding, I suspect, for people, because, you know some good Optimus Prime stuff, you know, made some really good use of sort of existing characters. And this almost felt like that that's what they wanted to do here is like, okay, we've got to introduce the headmasters. They're literally in the title of the show, but this is really all about kind of, you know, the existing cast of characters first and foremost. And we can get to those guys once we've killed all the existing cast of characters. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like it's, it's definitely a really strong opening. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I wasn't sure how on board I was going to be for watching a whole bunch of this, but this certainly got me on board for watching a whole bunch of this. So, yeah, good stuff. So, when it comes to trivia notes and such, one thing that is coming across to me in some of the notes I'm seeing is I think Headmasters is going to be a mixed-media type thing. And to try and elaborate on that for those who aren't aware, in Japan, there are some projects that occur whereby... There's various forms of media that ultimately make it into one franchise. So, for example, there may be a manga slash comic. There may be an anime. There may be a game. There may be, like, a random novel or something. All of which are actually canon in some way. And to get the full grasp of the story, you actually need to somehow read all of it. Hmm. Because the reason I mention that is one of the notes here is that issue one of the Headmaster's manga takes place shortly after this episode. Okay. So I don't know how much of a mixed media project this will ultimately be, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say if something else occurs in this show, which we outright do not have the context of, chances are we may end up getting it in some form of trivia note because it's been part of something else. Yeah, yeah, that that will be, be interesting to see. Because, yeah, I, I also, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure the main the head writer with every pun intended of this series. It was also like the writer of the original, like G one transformers manga, which I've been meaning to read for the longest time and, and never have. Um, so like, I wonder whether there's even a little bit of crossover there with maybe some of the vector Sigma stuff that we just, you know, haven't had, 
haven't had access to um but yeah that, that will be interesting to see whether there are elements that we're you know just expected to know from other media that we have not consumed uh, yes the writer's name yoshihasa araki is the name and having a quick note on things has done scripts for loads of stuff actually he's even got some gundam written here as well which is very unsurprising but uh also apparently wrote scripts for apparently wrote scripts for seven okay Sorry, crossing thoughts here. Wrote a whole bunch of scripts for the Japanese Takara G1, as it were. So wrote 17 episodes for Headmasters, 16 for Super God Master Force, and 13 for Victory, by the sound of it. Yeah, it's done sort of various scripts and stuff as well. But additionally, the TF Wiki notes... Uh, was an anime screenwriter in the 70s and 80s. In the Transformers, he wrote some episodes of Headmasters, Super God, Master Force, and Victory. Outside of Transformers, he wrote episodes for other giant mecha shows, such as Mobile Suit Gundam, Daitan 3, Zarbungle, I think is how you pronounce that, mm -hmm. and the second Tetsujin 28 show, aka Mu Gigantor, as well as non-mecha anime. Oh, there we go. So there we go on that front. Elsewhere, uh, the energy leech is apparently maybe the same creatures that we saw of similar ilk in Return of Optimus Prime Part 2. Yeah, Which, yeah. Mm. That would, I was going to say, admittedly, I don't recall them off the top of my head, but I won't argue it because it's the TF Wiki. You know, they know far more than I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely feel like we've we've had we've had leeches before <laughs> in this show at some point. <laughs> I just wouldn't, couldn't recall when. Apparently, Cup references Rodimus Prime's defeat of Galvatron on planet Feminia, an event which occurred in the story of Super Robot Life Forms, The Transformers number five. What on earth is that? I guess that's maybe the manga. Ah, so the story of Super Robot Life Forms, The Transformers, uh, ran in TV Magazine, which is what we mentioned earlier mm -hmm. at the start of the episode. So it's one of those sort of TV Magazine tie in things. Again, kind of a mixed media element so i wasn't wrong on that front and apparently yeah. uh served as an accompaniment specifically to transformers 2010 aka season three in japan okay well, that makes sense so there we go so we're gradually getting our head around this but yeah there's definitely going to be some mixed media stuff happening here um i won't spoil this as it were but i'll just sort of read a note that apparently the telepathic powers thing that we know to the fortress that is foreshadowing for something yeah okay as it were. I'm not going to read any more of the notes so I don't spoil anything myself, but I can see that noted. Continuity errors. So, <laughs> I'm going to read this verbatim and we'll see what we think of this. Okay, so it takes Optimus Prime, who has made the trip before, basically one and a half episodes to traverse the tunnels and get to Vector Sigma's chamber, and yet Cyclonus and Scourge, who were on Earth earlier in this episode were able to beat him there. And Galvatron and Rodimus, who only just left Earth a while ago, make it to the chamber in what seems like only minutes. What, did Optimus get lost on the way? Maybe that's why Alpha Trion's ghost came to guide him to Vector Sigma. Never ask Prime for directions. He's obviously horrible at them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As mentioned. So, trivia notes. So, this episode is a study in how weird the Matrix is in Japan. With the wisdom of the ages having been drained to counteract the hate plague in Return of Optimus Prime Part 2, the Autobots have decided to recharge the Matrix by hooking it up to a power station. Potential 
Okay, potential spoiler here, as a little note, I don't know, but the final chapter of the Headmaster's manga tries to justify this a bit, uh, justify this a bit, excuse me, or at least gussy it up, by pointing out that the energy is the life force of Earth. So presumably, the power plant was gathering up natural energy, but, you know, still. <laughs> and the fact it's actually recharged by Alpha, Tri Alpha Trion's ghost spinning around and going inside isn't much better. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the whole thing is a little bit... A, a little bit wonky. I, I suspect that's probably one of those things where, like, in an ideal world, they would probably love to have had time to explain all the kind of post-Return of Optimus Prime stuff around the Matrix, but it's like, no, we can't have a, a, our first episode be deep lore on how the Matrix works and is powered, so we'll just, we'll just work it as we go. Hmm. While relaying information in cassette mode, Ratbat plays not a recording, but a summary of events in a unique voice, in the same manner that Ravage did in More Than Meets the Eye Part 3. That's going way back now. Later in the series, however, uh, he and he and other Decepticon cassette animals suddenly start talking in their robot modes. <laughs> yeah. Ratbat's gonna get a voice, Andy! Yeah, you see, I mean, Ratbat is one cassette that did always have a voice in the comics. Like, he could always hmm. talk. So that that I'm fine with. It's just the others that is a bit a bit weird. Which I realise is a strange distinction. Like, he's a bat, of course he can talk. But <laughs> here we are. Kind of actually, funnily enough, following up on what you were saying earlier about the code that appeared on screen, like in, in the eye scanners, a computer program written in BASIC flashes up on screen during POV shots for Hot Rod and Hot and Fortress. Uh, yeah. More BASIC code appears on Cup's monitor as he checks the state of Vector Sigma. Yeah, it explains a lot about why the Autobots are so disorganised when <laughs> everything is programmed in BASIC, but anyway. So, the term double convoy is in reference to convoy and Rodimus convoy, i.e. Optimus Prime and and Rodimus Prime, teaming up in, in presumably a takeoff on the double rider term of Kamen Rider 1 and Kamen Rider 2 from the original Kamen Rider series. Coincidentally, or perhaps not, the company that makes Kamen Rider also did the animation for season 1 and 2 of the Generation 1 cartoon. It's also amusing to note both ran afoul of a group called Destron. <laughs> yes, which is the Japanese true. term for Decepticon. That is true. <laughs> in an odd touch, Rodimus Prime's character model seen here and in the remainder of his appearances in Headmasters is different from his US character model in several subtle ways, seemingly taking inspiration from the Studio Ox design. Studio Ox was originally a freelance art studio that produced more anime-styled Transformers art for TV magazine and comic bonbon throughout the early years of Generation 1 in Japan. Uh, in 1991, they became a company providing production and conceptual artwork for various anime, primarily reboots of older franchises such as Zero, uh, Cyborg 009 the, the Cyborg Soldier, Tekaman Blade, and Getter Robo Armageddon. They also created some short OVA series like Idol Project and Wild Cards, with a Z at the end. So, going back to the talk about Rodimus Prime's character model, his eyes now have thick borders around them, although this does vary depending on the shot. The wheels on his upper arms now face forward rather than backward, and his yellow spoiler has been beefed up in robot mode. So there you go. Also, <laughs> they say here, um, 
Did the writer forget that this is not the first time that Optimus Prime and Rodimus Prime show up together? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there is there is that as well. But this time they did it and they were cool, so it, it works different, I guess. <laughs> In terms of foreign localization, the, the infamous English dub simply called the episode The Birth of a New Leader. Talk about a flipping spoiler and a half there. At least the other one gives a little bit of mystery about it. Uh, apparently, so the Shout Factory... <laughs> okay, there's two different versions here. The Shout Factory menu on the disc, apparently, calls this Behold the Birth of Double Prime, whereas the, the Shout Factory subtitle track calls the episode The Rebirth of Rodimus Prime. <laughs> I mean, n n none of which are inaccurate, I suppose, but... Uh, and in Mandarin, Andy, this episode was known as The Birth of Rodimus Prime, The Second Leader. <laughs> I mean, again, I guess if, if, if they didn't get the movie either, then maybe that's a more slightly more mm. notable thing. But Yeah. So there's some very interesting notes there, actually, just in general. And, and I think that just about wraps up this episode, Andy. We've gone a heck of a long time for this episode, but I think it's been more than worth it. And I've had a great fun discussing it. But, but any other additional notes you would like to make note of when it comes to this episode specifically? No, no. I mean, I, it's it's been a, a good time. Like I say, you know, I wasn't... I was a little wary going into these, but I kind of... I got through the first two episodes like, no, I need to watch more of this. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm definitely... I'm definitely in for watching more of this series, and especially now it's kind of... It's it set the scene for everything, so I'm I'm interested to see what the the next batch of episodes brings. Well, on that note, Andy, I guess we need to decide the next time we bring a podcast to you, fine folks. How many episodes are we gonna cover? Do we want to sort of go to, to, to two? Do we want to keep it at three? What what are you thinking? I feel like we should probably keep it at three. I mean, these episodes like uh, they're basically twenty minutes each. Um, so you know, if they they feel like they're marginally shorter than the US episodes, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll I guess we'll see how it goes when we watch them, and if there's some obvious like arc to it, there's like two episodes we can always change. But let's let's aim for three and see what happens. See see how many see, see how many people they can kill in the next three episodes. <laughs> that means then we will be talking about episodes four to six. I will ask you, Andy, on the off chance that some of these episode titles might spoil something, would you like to know the episode titles for the next three episodes? Yeah, I'm 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 not fussed about spoilers. I'm here for it. So, episode four, The Great Cassette Operation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> episode five, Rebellion on Planet Beast. <laughs> well, okay. Episode six. Approach of the Demon Meteorite. <laughs> I mean, this, yeah, uh, all, all, all of these just make me want to watch these episodes more. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the great cassette operation or whatever is, is the introduction of the pencil transformer that we discussed previously to, to <laughs> rewind all the cassette tapes without, uh, without sound wave or blaster around. Oh, my word. So, folks, that's what we're going to be talking about next time. In terms of a time frame for the next episode, we're going to try and keep to sort of our fortnightly format. But don't be surprised if maybe it's a little bit longer, just depending how things go. But either way, we will cover episodes four to six before the end of the calendar year, which is a horrifying thing to say, Andy. I'm not going to lie, because mm -hmm. we are that far into the year already. Yeah, indeed. And I'm sure once we get around Christmas time, our schedule will be somewhat disrupted anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll work it as best we can, and we'll see what happens. 
Indeed, we aren't going anywhere yet. It may just be a little bit longer to wait between episodes. But thank you very much for your support. And once again, if you've joined us on the likes of Apple, Spotify and such, do, do tell a friend about it. We'd really appreciate it if you would help spread the word of the podcast. If you want to reach out to us on social media, we do have Twitter and Instagram. You can find our podcast account under the name Starscreams Pod on both platforms. And with that being said, Andy, closing thoughts, anything else additional at all? Or, or are you good to go, as it were? No, I think I think we're good to go. This this has been something of a pleasant surprise watching these episodes. So um, yeah, and, and now I've had these episode titles, I'm I'm raring to go for the next one. Until next time, everybody. From myself, Jeremy Graves. From him, Mr. Andy Hanley. You've been listening to Star Screams Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care. Bye, everyone. <laughs>